Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? I just can't that picture in Stephen Gerrard walking <laughs> out of the Etihad, you know, wearing that Liverpool jersey underneath the suit, a bit like Superman, Claire Ken. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is where it all starts. Good morning to you. O2 AM, Friday morning. Adrian here, Owen there. I call him there. Morning, lads. How are you, Adrian? How are you, lads? How's it going? Very well. Yeah. Jesus, that was a bit How of are slow you, out of the blocks. I can, I'll go first. I'm I was waiting for Owen because... I was having a no, sat there for like 10 minutes just fluting about doing nothing. No, I was actually waiting for Owen to go first this week because wow. last week you gave me the floor. I was just being generous to Owen. Because no one, no one ever asks Owen how he is. Everyone just presumes Owen's always great, always on form, always ready to go. We and never really right. ask you how you are. They would be right, wouldn't okay, they? On. Yeah, I'm You're never right. not on form. You all right? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. Um, there's so much going on. There's so much to get through. Uh, there's lots of stuff that, like, uh, any of it, we kind of lead the show stuff this morning. But um, we do need to lead off with events uh, in Istanbul. And a lot of the photographs, uh, the newspapers have sort of picked up on this in various ways. And I don't really want to sort of, I know that people are kind of a little bit annoyed about the fact that it wasn't on the TV. And that's probably right. But I think sometimes we're, we're guilty of having those conversations at the expense of actually talking about the stuff itself. So we'll do that in a second. And we are hoping at some point, possibly this morning, and then possibly a bit later on, uh, that we might actually have one of the boxers um, on the line. So as soon as they're ready, we'll be ready for them. And uh, we'll see what happens with that front. Some of the papers have really missed the boat, uh, having said all that, about not talking about the media. Uh, the Sun being one of them, it's not on the front page, and it's sort of tucked away there a little bit on the top page of that. And then just the other extreme bit is uh, the Irish Independent. Fair play to you this morning uh, on the front page, if I can get that in shot there. Uh, brilliant scenes from the ring yesterday, and it was quite the achievement from uh, Team Ireland at the World Championships. It was uh, three gold medals that we'd ever won um, at this level prior to that in the shape of Kelly Harrington and uh, Katie Taylor on the women's side and Michael Connell then on the men's side and Amy Broadhurst and Lisa O'Rourke congratulations to both of you this morning incredible achievements really uh, as I said only three others before them and loads of firsts as well first time to win two goals at one championships first time that the boxes went into the ring for finals after each other uh, only the fourth and fifth, fifth ever and also the comprehensiveness of the wins um both fighters, it should be acknowledged as well, brought through by Bernard Dunn uh, in advance of the Olympic um, training camp last year. And uh, uh, up to this level, at least, Amy Broder has been on the scene for quite some time. And um, yeah, Lisa, much less so, but just incredible stuff. Brilliant scenes, lovely photographs, a real feel-good boxing story, which, like, Irish boxing has never been on such a pedestal. No, like I know, I, uh, Gavin Casey was on the show last night, and he had in this piece as well that uh, they'll take home eighty six thousand euro in prize money, and then on top of that, obviously you have the the base level of Sport Ireland funding, which is guaranteed now because they've medals at a major championships, forty thousand euro in funding. Those sorts of things are significant, and they're significant on a number of fronts. They're significant, obviously, for their day to day life, and also for keeping them in the system and uh, the the lights of professional boxing, which have been. Uh, so brilliantly illuminated over the last little while might become a little less attractive and there might be more opportunities for Ireland to win uh, medals over the course of the next few Olympic Games uh, as a result of that success yesterday as well. Obviously, there the question around who goes to Paris, what weight divisions people will be fighting at is actually a really complicated question and we're unsure what uh, knock-on impact this will have in Paris. So this is about yesterday and what yesterday represents and the fact that they've gone from three to five in the space of, what was it, half an hour of action yesterday? 
an hour of action yesterday. Uh, oh, it, it goes down as, as one of the, the, the greatest um, 45 minutes or whatever it was in, in the history yep. of Irish boxing. So, And it's just an absolutely phenomenal um, like, uh, week, actually. And when you kind of chart back through some of the, the career paths of these fighters... I'd completely forgotten about the, the the robbery of in in New Delhi a few years ago of Amy Broadhurst and the the judging decision to award when her fighter her opponent hit the deck to award that as a slip and even the, the local Indian media giving out about it at the time that was like a, a real setback in in the career and like I mean O'Rourke has kind of been a bolt from the blue certainly from my perspective I'm sure boxing writers have been well aware of of what she was going to going to do coming well, into this championship she's so young she's only just turned 20 as well mm. so she could be around for a while and Broader's story is so interesting in the Kelly Harrington uh, um, the competitiveness obviously between the two of them and she's had to step up a little bit and wait to try and make this happen for her so um, like unlikely when you're behind a boxer that quality that you're going to get those opportunities so um, no, amazing stuff and uh, as I said we will hope at some point today if Colm gets the finger out and puts a bit of pressure on that we'll get um, the two fighters on a little bit later on I can't promise on. anything but I'll try to try it's like it is um, it's amazing just like when you kind of like look through these these stories, kind of the importance of of Katie Taylor in, in all of this, and mm-hmm. like without trying to hark back to a different fighter, when these two fighters are the ones in the spotlight, just, just interesting to see that like Broadhurst was was in the Connecticut camp with Taylor before the Amanda Serrano fight, mm-hmm. because obviously um, Taylor's camp would have wanted a southpaw fighter to come in and actually fight Taylor beforehand, and and that's why Broadhurst was brought in, like to get that experience, and of course, obviously after 2012. There is this very visible role model, this this icon for these boxers as well that exists, and um, they've actually learned from within and learned from the system that has that has produced so much success over the last little while. So, yes, there is uh, a lot of issues with Irish boxing, but I think yesterday is a is a day that probably illuminates some of the things that have been done very very right. Yeah, they're totally badly served by the yeah. administrative level, obviously, and as you say, like such a shadow cast over the future of the sport at all in this country. If it's going to be um, absent from the Olympics, it'll be it will, they'll struggle to keep it uh, keep it afloat. So we'll see how that pans out over the next while. Uh, if you have any words of congratulations, comments, anything like that about uh, our two brilliant world champions, do lash them into us and we'll bring them to our audience. One of the first comments we've had in this morning, um, Mark Hogan, Han Offaly is a good way to get the... Mark's uh, there every day saying that. Day. Oh, is he? Get yeah, he's a regular. Started. Good man, and, Mark. Um, Gav Sale says, uh, happy to see the crappy quizzes back this week. So it is. I need to look forward to that front later on. Uh, myself versus Tommy versus Arthur. Arthur. And can I just say, an exciting new round awaits. Oh, Jesus. How Nothing many about that. weeks uh, can we have an I thought you were excited about this. We Sorry. discussed how excited you're going to be that. about this. Yeah, I'm very excited. Absolute champions. But it is all up for grabs, I think it's fair enough to say, without casting too much uh, you know, aspersions on the two lads. I think, you know, I nearly feel confident about it. Um, big scenes in the football last night, including Everton uh, securing their position in the Premier League. And, uh, you know, I was watching Aston Villa Burnley, as I'm sure probably a lot of, yeah. lots of other people were as well Same. last night. Oh, nice. um, frustratingly, uh, yeah. not realising actually that the game was on Premier Sports. But uh, there we go. Um, and I also, by the way, I didn't really bother because I saw they were 2-0 down and I thought, well, sure, that's that. It's all gone to the final day and they could well be screwed the way things are going. But they've obviously turned it around. And, like, Lampard, really, I feel that he never sort of gets the credit he deserves in the sense that, like, you know, when they're going badly... Well, Lampard has put them in this position. It's not really, you know, 
it's up to him to get them out of it. And then when they're, when they're going well, like last night, you know, there's a lot of credit um, for the players. I just felt that, like, credit where it's due. I do think, obviously, uh, like even looking at the scenes last night, that I think there's a fairly full overall need of that club. Like, I'm assuming that that's in the, in the, uh, in the uh, back, of people, back of fans' minds last night when they're on the pitch celebrating that thing, that, like, it's a big relief moment. Mm. But actually, the reality is there's so much work needed to be done there. Well, someone was saying there this morning, I think it was myself and Owen chatting, that it's the, the worst Everton squad that you can remember. Like, I, I think like it is a talented squad. Like If you're having the likes of Danny van der Beek, Dali Ali and Alan on the bench mm. in a do-or-die match, you know, you're doing something right on paper in terms of the players you're recruiting, but it's just the inability for Everton to find any cohesion at all this season. And I agree with you, Adrian, that... I think with Frank Lampard, and I think we're guilty of it too. Is there a bit of joy in seeing him suffer a bit? I don't know if that's the kind of feeling towards Lampard. And I, I, I mean, like WhatsApp groups last night, people were absolutely delighted at half time that Everton were 2 0 down. There and is. the same WhatsApp yeah, group an hour later was right. like expletive ridden uh, sentiment towards Crystal Palace's inability to see the match out. I mean, it's the first time Everton have ever come from 2 0 down at half time to win a Premier League match. And so, so Lampard does deserve credit because when he came in, they were at an extremely low ebb and he himself has had very low moments, like the 3-2 defeat away to Burnley at Turf Moor uh, back in the start of April. And I remember we were talking about the following day and we thought, well, that's it for Everton. They're, they're going to go down. But he's, he's rallied the troops. He, they beat Manchester United. They beat Chelsea. They won away to Leicester. Like, he's had good results with they, them. They should have gotten something off the Manchester City game. The, the exactly, shot, the, 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 penalty. the penalty that never happened, yeah. Uh, like, and that was in the, the early Lampard throws. And it does feel, like, during the Lampard era, as if they've had more of a chance in some of those bigger games against the bigger opposition rather than a game like last night. Now, I know they did go on to actually win last night, and it was such a vital three points. But I'd love to know... Like, where does this season rank for Everton fans? It'll certainly go down as one of the most memorable. And, like, that's what football is all about, mm. like, about creating those sorts of memories. Like, if yeah. they're a team for me that are mid-table to seventh all the time, I know that's not a fact. 2003, 2004, they came close to getting relegated as well. But you do have to go back that far to find a similar level of threat for them, uh, like, parachuting out of the league. So for fans of a certain age, this will probably be one of the greatest moments as an Everton yeah, fan yeah. I know they got to a cup final in 09 as well but other than that really there hasn't been anything to, to shout about and that's been positive because they've managed to stay away from relegation trouble but with all the negativity this season they've allowed themselves to put themselves into uh, a, a great escape position and that's just an amazing feeling as a fan it's like finishing fourth it's like for Tottenham fans they probably feel like they'll have a better season now than Chelsea fans will have had even though Chelsea finished yeah. above them it's like the sense of achievement of actually getting over the line and stumbling over the line that's a pretty good feeling Do you know I can't help but feel I agree with all of that. And I can't help but feel when I saw the pitch invasion last night after the match, I was just thinking, Roy Keane won't like this. Like, it's like, what, what, are, you, what, are, you cele- what are you celebrating about? Let's like, not, look at this. Look at, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. Look at the squad you have and look how you've done this season. Let's that's not a remarkable underachievement. There's a joylessness to that nonsense, honestly. Yeah, but there, there was is. a time where, where I would have understood what you're talking about. Look we at could see some of the scenes look last night. I guarantee you, right, no that's matter what happens at the weekend, there will be no set of fans that will be as happy yeah. and celebrate as much as those fans last night. So let's not look at everything through the prism of you have to win. Like, that's bullshit. 
It isn't though, right? It's no, it isn't though. Come, it isn't. come on. No, 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 no. It, it, it harks back to a conversation the lads were having in the studio during the week. You can't say that, you know, success is just for one team at the end of the season to win the league and that's it. Mm. That's There's a joylessness to that, I, that you struggle to get out of bed for, in the morning. That's, I agree. I didn't realise uh, this would get you going so much. This is interesting because uh, I was just thinking of the point of view that Everton really have nothing to celebrate other than the fact that they have it's massive relief other than and everything. you look at the celebrations last night and out of context you think geez, if Everton won the league have they won their first trophy since 1995 you know it's you, you know many they, people would say they could, they could sprint down to they the dressing room and be like "Geez, we got, they we got rid of that they have more reason to celebrate but celebrate suggests a massive success Right? That's, that is a, it's that's an incredible success it's relief you see, that's, you're, you're using that word to suggest you have to win a medal at the end of it and I, for no, me, not necessarily. Pre- if they if they qualified for the Champions League this season, or even the Europa League, even the Conference League, the last, not, second if, last if day of the season, the that's celebration. They ain't that's the celebration. Pitch. They're not rushing the pitch like that if they qualify for the Champions League. Let's face it. Why? You, have you ever seen a team? Have you ever seen a set of fans rush the pitch because their team qualified for the Champions League? It just doesn't happen. I understand the fans rushing the pitch because of the relief and joy that they're still in the Premier League and everything. Like they're one of seven seven sides never to be relegated from the Premier League. I think. Um, and I haven't been relegated in decades long long time so I understand the fans is a uh, joy but you know if you're the players and you're Frank Lampard I saw him going up to the stands afterwards and, yeah. and hugging the good and the great of Everton past and I'm thinking okay this is great and he has done a really good job but at the same time lads like the squad that you have and where you finish but, in the league this the, is a massive the, the underachievement rushing, rushing of the pitch has nothing to do with any of those factors the rushing of the pitch is an absolute joy. outpour of celebration and success Relief. Objective being, of course, but objective being surviving the Premier League for the season, objective achieved. That's success. There's no. But that's not their remit. That was not their remit when Rafa Benitez took over. To I know, but your remit, your remit, uh, your remit, what's the phrase about getting punched in the face? Your remit is grand until you get punched until, in the face. Uh, yeah, I, Mike Tyson's I think, line. I think there would have been a pitch invasion had Everton qualified for a Champions yeah, League because I, it's Everton. Well, I agree. And also it's Goodison Park, which is conducive to a pitch invasion. Mm. The reason why we don't see pitch invasions for Champions League qualification is because those stadiums that host Champions League teams aren't... You're not able to get onto the pitch. Like You can't get onto the pitch at Anfield. But there's also a sentiment, like... Honestly, if depending on the circumstances, I give that caveat for sure, right? Because um, Liverpool maybe get ahead at some point and City are drawing and it looks like suddenly Liverpool are going to go in and the, the balance may go that way. But if everything goes as expected at the weekend, there won't be any pitch invasion about winning the Premier League. And regardless of... I Look, I take it's your not point... not because you literally can't. It's not because like Goodison Park is actually... I, but I, 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 is there anybody out there who can illuminate... No, but this? I mean, you, I, I, look, I do take your point. It's obviously a dinosaur of a stadium and it's easy to, to get on, Great on stadium the pitch. by all accounts. But what I'm saying is, are we Trying afraid of libeling? Are we <laughs> libeling the stadium? Well, that, all I've heard uh, is good things about the place. To be honest, no, no, that doesn't mean the dinosaurs were great. Um, what I'm saying is, like, it was the sentiment at that moment that those players rushed on the pitch. Now there was some stuff that went on at that game, obviously in relation to Patrick Vieira afterwards. That was that was awful, and there was stuff that went on with the Nottingham Forest game the other day with uh, Billy Sharp. That was awful, and it's not to condone, condone any of that stuff. But the sentiment, I I believe that the sentiment that carried those like tens of thousands that we saw on the pitch onto the pitch last night would have been there no matter if they were at like somewhere soulless like the Emirates or you know some other high profile but, uh, like what what would your view of the the major sentiment and emotion of those fans being from the outside did you assume that they're just absolutely thrilled with the job that Frank Lampard has done in the latter few weeks of the season or would you like hypothesize that well it's just massive relief and outpouring of joy it's all and, it is 
yeah, that's I, not, I, that's I, not I a don't celebration. think I don't think anybody is like it's, it's not a celebration. I don't think it's a celebration. Oh, will you stop, Jesus? Do you? How, what, I'm not. Hold on. I know you, what you're going to say. Oh, if this you is come pure first, Roy you come Keane. Last. I come it's from not, Cork, and no, I have no, to look no. at everything through the it's eyes not, of Roy it's Keane. It's a celebration, Colin. Like, I mean, it's nonsense. Of course, it's a celebration. Like, it can be a celebration based on relief. Like, like if you want to get it, if you want to dig down into well, that's what I mean. Nobody's sitting there being like, "Ooh, Frank Lampard is he better manager than Rafa?" Do you think there's only one successful team in the Premier League every season? Never said that. But I'm asking you the question. Obviously not. There's success in w- loads of different ways. Like, for instance, uh, Brighton, I think, have had a very successful second half of the season when they struggled to score at home. And like, they've only won one home game in the second half of the season. And that's poor. But remember, Graham Potter was shaking his head at the fans at around wintertime about their booing of uh, a, a nil-all draw, I think, at home. And they turned around to have a really good season. I know their home form didn't end up being great. But anyway, I would say that's a successful season for Brighton. He has been playing great football. They comfortably avoided uh, relegation. And they have a good away record. Loads of positives. Of course. That's a celebration. That's success. Nowhere near getting your European football titles, domestic cups. That's success. Are you, did, you just, did you just make the point there that Brighton have had a more successful season than Everton? Because that is obvious. Nobody, nobody needs to hear that. Like I mean, that's uh, like absolutely teams, obvious. Are uh, fifteen more teams have had a successful season than Everton? Exactly. Trying to argue that Everton haven't had a very successful season isn't an argument. Of course, they haven't. They almost got relegated. Yeah, it's but, like I mean, that's that, it's but, not even a debate. Why are we? Yeah. What are we arguing about? No, but here? We, no, what we're arguing for is that. We're arguing about the fact that Adrian said, right? What would Roy say? No, we're, we're, we're arguing about the fact that Adrian is like uh, promoting this massive celebration of goodness. And I'm saying, well, it's a bit unfair on teams above Everton who ah, have had a better stop. than average season. Because and they, they have haven't no been pitch, able to celebrate. They have no pitch Because they haven't been able right? to they celebrate. They have no pitch nah. So you know, What are they going to do? celebrating like, their own finish failure, mid-table, basically. Finish mid-table and rush the pitch on the final day. Come on. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, uh, I'm, I'm nearly disappointed in you, Colm, I have to say. No, no, no. Um, no, no. Uh, Fergus Keogh says, Everton pitch invasion for avoiding relegation. Liverpool a bit disappointed at finishing a point behind City. Um, yeah, look, I don't know. Uh, oh, Nigel Gallagher. all relative. And Nigel like- Gallagher saying here, I think the media in the UK give Lampard a lot of unwanted praise, which I find hard to take. Uh, plus unwanted or undeserved? Undeserved. Unwarranted. I actually the point to be fair is probably more in relation to the Irish media. Yeah, exactly. You know, sorry, yeah, like, sorry, I should have said that. Uh, yeah, or, uh, or regarding, says a, yeah, I should have said that regarding Nigel's point. That is very true. He he gets a, a nice gig from like the likes of BT Sport, where he's a former pundit. They'd be very pro Lampard, and I I do think we often go the opposite way. I take joy in the fact that he's an underperformer as a manager. I was going to ask both of you if you were pitching vendors, but like this lad is like sitting there ticking the box to go. Hmm, should I should I celebrate this? Is this is this the point at which I mean no. I know everybody else around me is rushing. I pitch, told you already that I totally understand every single one of those fans running onto the pitch. That's their club. You're just questioning them. Did you I'm uh, questioning the the Lampard and the players? Uh, sense of achievement this season when really it's a massive underperformance um, for Everton as a football club. Having said all that, yeah. you have rushed the pitch at a certain point. Uh, I have Tom and Park. Uh, a monster victory in uh, 2002 in Europe, maybe quarter final. Right. And it was, uh, yeah, I had a good, I had a good time post match. As I said to you earlier in the kitchen. What happened? Come on, tell them. No, I was just, uh, I was embracing my fellow fans running around the pitch, and then uh, this and young hoodlum <laughs> was uh, was what was what really running against me. Opposite direction, like I'm looking at the camera here. So this, I'm seeing him here, like five yards away, and this guy's coming over, and he's like, "Oh, I'm going to embrace you with this stranger." about a great monster victory whips the hat off me runs away 
never saw that beanie again and I loved that beanie <laughs> and I could not imagine Colm like skulking back into the stands going well that has ruined, ruined my day. So if anyone's made everything in, uh, moot now for the day anyone tuning in from Limerick this morning circuit 2002 <laughs> Navy beanie a monster, a monster comment one comment here please monster one no it was uh, an unbranded <laughs> Navy uh, beanie it's definitely going to be found I wonder where it is now yeah, Pitch invasions happen all the time, though. Like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, we, we just see it in in football across the water. We're like, wow, because like, it's so sanitized, you don't normally see it. Is that? Yeah, like, I mean, there's yeah. pitch invasions on GA pitches yeah. uh, every single week. Uh, obviously, we don't see it in Crow Park anymore. But like, isn't uh, the halftime kids on the pitch? No, I mean, at full time, are, like players are mobbed by kids looking for autographs yeah. and people just. I don't know if that's a pitch invasion Go so on. much as no no look at I, I I don't want to sort of get out to that same road as your man here but I like there's an excitement for the kids to get on the pitch as opposed to oh the team's just want to better get out there like there's nearly a bit of there's a bit of the madness but it's not like a lot of adults sort of running the pitches it's sort of a slightly different vibe to it yeah but I uh, I take your point it's not um yeah, I do. Like, I mean, I do miss the pitch invasion in Croke Park, but then you do see things like the Billy Sharp situation and yeah. that absolute idiot going up to Patrick Vieira last night as well. And think to yourself, well, this this is going to ruin everybody's fun. And uh, I, like, I presume that was the reason why there is no pitch invasions in Croke Park is just for for the potential. I think for it's an like insurance thing. There was there was yeah. a whole load of insurance claims at some point or another. I rushed it in two thousand and four. Oh yeah, after a the moment. infamous after ourselves and Kerry combined to take over the world. Yeah. Um, and there was nobody like we were. It was Plan B mode at that point. Plan B, you remember the what game the, was Plan uh, B again? Because I was on the pitch for was, 09 after Kerry won the other. It was it was it was a policy at that time that once Plan A went to shit, it yeah, was like right, we can't hold them. There was one very famous moment though where Plan B was like the, the first one. I, I, I think I can't remember if I was in the stadium or watching it at home, but there, there was one where <laughs> that, that, there was definitely the beginning of Plan B, and then they just managed to get a grip on it. They obviously put up better security on all the stands to have the netting yeah. on the front few rows and all that better quality of steward is what you're saying it's like well, <laughs> oh, back 80,000 people nah, like it, that, that was like that was an unforgiving job wasn't it without oh. the, the barriers to actually try and uh, hold off uh, thousands of Tyrone fans or Armagh fans and uh, try and keep them at bay that, obviously the Kerry fans would be very polite yeah, and she, oh you're telling us to stay, stay in the stand no problem <laughs> yeah, we will right, sit down here right. uh, that moment of like mad joyous chaos when you're on the pitch you've lost the people you've come with but you're hugging strangers and you're like looking for players and it's like it's just it was it, that that for me was probably the the highlight of anything I've ever been at and like there was just no sense that anybody was going to there was people you were creeping down the stairs as the we were approaching sort of full time you're creeping down the stairs to get your your, your position um, you told a story before as well about was it Crow Park? Yeah right? well like Crow Park 2009 the last time I remember uh, invading a pitch and like when you talk about like the technical phrase of your pitch invasion after Kerry had uh, beaten Cork handily again in, in an All Ireland football final, I think I had contracted swine flu uh, that morning, so I was kind of like running onto the pitch in like a haze, dizzy, and I, I don't think I even stayed for the trophy presentation. <laughs> I was like, I just gotta get out of here. I feel like I'm gonna die. And I, I missed I, I miss I all must the celebrations get on the pitch. Yeah, I missed I all the celebrations that week as well because I was bed bound for a week. Wow, terrible. A uh, few comments coming in. Uh, well said, Colm says. Uh, Colm's mother yeah, well said, says Colm's mother here. Uh, says Alan. Um, Alan, my mother. Uh, Jesus, Colm. Uh, whatever. Uh, Edward, Colm is some killjoy. Why is someone with no idea about? <laughs> well, that's, that, why, why do we don't? Hold on a minute. Let me read out the comments. Let me read out the yeah, comments. Uh, yeah. Flying hellfish. Jesus, Colm, outwitted by the man who voted to have the monorail in that loan. <laughs> <laughs> Did it? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Here, come on and look at your running order there. Come on. Are you, are you, are you, come are you on. dipping, dipping into all Column is some killjoy. Why someone with no idea about sport and a sports show? Everton fans were 100% right to celebrate last night. The club have an entire off-season to review the season. Nice one for including this, says Column. Uh, uh, Robert says, no Gilroy, dot, dot, dot. We all know how that concludes. And Demo says, Everton achieved zero of their objectives for the season. That's definition of unsuccessful. Doesn't mean they can't celebrate avoiding disaster. And I think that is nailing the head stuff. Um, what are you pointing at me to do? To come Read the running order, please. Talk to you about tennis. Yeah. Well, we need to go. We have Kathleen McNamee waiting. Right. Well, do, will we wait for the tennis for later on then? Or do you want to no, we'll do it now quickly. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> the producer has vetoed everything else. Go on. Watch uh, French Open draw. The French Open draw happened yesterday. Starts Tournament starts on Sunday. Uh, it's very briefly on the men's side. Very interesting. Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz have all been drawn on the same side of the draw, which means that we could get a Nadal versus Djokovic quarter-final quite early and uh, Alcaraz if he beats Alexander Zverev in the quarterfinal would meet either Nadal or Djokovic in the semi-final it means that Stefanos Tsitsipas the Greek who reached the final last year who actually won the first two sets against Djokovic in that final he uh, should get to a second consecutive final because he's on the other side of the draw which is very winnable for him his biggest threat there would be Daniel Medvedev who's the world number two uh, but is not a great clay court player. So Sitsipas should get to the final and then it's one of three between Nadal, Djokovic and Alcaraz on the other side of the draw. So he can get a blockbuster quarterfinal there, Nadal, Djokovic. The uh, only thing with Nadal is struggling badly with his ankle. Djokovic won the Italian Open last week. He would be my odds-on favourite to win this tournament. Carlos Alcaraz on current form is the best player in the world. He beat Nadal and Djokovic back-to-back a couple of weeks ago, but best of five sets is a different story altogether. Those are best of three set matches. So a lot to look forward to on the men's side. On the women's side, Iga Sviant world number one she's won her last five tournaments in a row she's also the 2020 French Open champion where she beat Sophia Kennan in that showdown uh, it's the clear favourite here to win this whole tournament the only way she won't is if she gets injured and in terms of an interesting first round draw you have Naomi Osaka of course the great Osaka who's won four Grand Slams already two Australian Opens two US Opens she's playing Amanda Anis- Anisimova in the first round those two met at the Australian Open earlier this year where Osaka lost that match in a titanic three-set battle. She lost in a third-set tie-break. Of course, the French Open last year is where Osaka pulled out after her first-round victory, citing her mental health exhaustion. Mm. So she's back now to play the French Open. She's never gone beyond the third round, but that would be a great first-round tie. Well, I, uh, for one, look forward to the tennis updates over the next, what, how many weeks? Two weeks, starting Sunday. Yeah, Really looking forward to that, Colm, as you know. I can, th- I can sense it in your voice, yeah. Keep an eye, keep an eye out for you. Right, OTBAM, it is uh, 5 to 8, uh, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's happening in the show between now and 10 this morning. We've Kathleen McNamee standing by in just a couple of moments' time. We're going to uh, talk to Kathleen about the Champions League final and look back, of course, on last weekend's epic FA Cup final. A few more other pieces as well. Uh, quick picks with... Uh, who do we have on the line this morning, Will and... No, Tommy. Tommy. No Will or Ashing, but they Oof. sent their picks in. Right. It's a triple threat. And we have a leaderboard, I believe. We do indeed. Today. Yeah, very good. Uh, JD will be along. It says sports pages there. I think that's going to be mainly uh, PGA Championship yeah, chat PGA after Championship round chance, one. Yeah. Good stuff. That's at half eight. Ronan Gar live on the line at ten to nine this morning. So again, any questions for him? An unbelievably interesting time again uh, for the Larishelle head coach. So he'll be live on the line at ten to nine if you have any questions for him. Live crappy quiz at ten past nine. And then Gavin Casey of the 42 was in conversation uh, with Will on the show last night about our two... Um, 
Boxing heroes in Istanbul, so uh, you'll have plenty more of that coming your way a little later on. And if, as I said a bit earlier on, at some point during the morning we manage to uh, make contact with both or either of the boxers, we'll bring them to you as well. So that's the story. That's where we're at. Uh, stay with us. Keep your comments coming in. Uh, plenty of them this morning. Delighted to say, though, that uh, first up we have from the Koi Gig pod, Kathleen McNamee. Good morning, Kathleen. Morning, guys. How are you keeping? Doing well, doing well. I was enjoying the chat there, everything from Everton to Kathleen's waiting for you. It sounded like I was the principal or something sitting outside the door. <laughs> Listen, you know, with that individual, when you're told what to do, you got to hop. Um, we've a lot to get through here. We talk a little bit about the Champions League final, maybe to begin with, and it's such an interesting um, pairing with Leon and Barcelona. Repeat of the final. Um, that was also in Budapest in uh, 2019, and Barcelona with a real score to settle. Yeah, they really do. I think, you know, Barcelona have talked about that final and how it was basically decided by half time as much as these things can be. And on the plane, on the way back from Budapest afterwards, they had this big team meeting and they said, we don't ever want to feel like this again. We don't want to have this sort of match again. And since then, they've been pretty incredible. Um, I mean, their record speaks for itself. The trebles, they went 30 for 30 in the league this year. And Leon have faltered since then. I mean, they're still an incredible team with incredible players, but they've seen a lot of their record runs break in. They've seen PSG come in and take a league title off them. They, it's so, because it's kind of like the new kids on the block versus the old dynasty who are still amazing. And I just don't know which way it's going to go. I mean, we've seen with Barcelona this season, they're not always at their best away from home when they come against these. We saw it against Wolfsburg, uh, Real Madrid a couple of times when they played them away. They still beat them, but it was a lot closer than the sort of thrashings that they were doing whenever they were playing in the Camp Nou or around their own home ground. So I'm intrigued to see how it'll go. And I do think it'll be a really great battle. Like on that uh, domestic piece, and and you mentioned that going thirty wins for thirty games uh, domestically, there's the goal difference one hundred and forty eight or something crazy like that. And the only defeat I think in the last forty five games was the Wolfsburg game uh, that you mentioned in the semi final that was ultimately a, a dead rubber. Anyway, what um, is like given all of that stuff, an incredible run. Is there still something about Leon, the side of Leon in the final that puts a bit of fear into this Barcelona side? I don't know if it's fear so much as it puts a little bit of wind up their backs because they they know themselves that this is kind of the team that they need to beat to take away any question marks over what they have done. I think you get this across sports, but when you have a team that dominates, probably in the way that Leon used to dominate, you kind of question, you're like, well, is the league that good? Is you know, domestically, are they just not given the right competition? You know, it's the same sort of questions you'd see around a team like Bayern Munich or something. But I think beating Leon will just be like the cherry on top for this Barcelona team. It will show that they have totally gotten rid of those demons from 2019 and that they are the new heads of Europe, like they are the team to beat. Um, I think like no matter what level Leon are at, such as their history and such as the caliber of the players on their team, you know, every team still wants to beat them. And when we say they're not having a great season or they're not having their best season, it means that they're losing one or two matches compared to not like, like winning every single one that's going. So I think if you listen as well to anything that the Barcelona players have said this week, their focus has very much been revenge, you know, Oshuala has talked about it. Uh, Fridolina Rulfo has talked about it. They want to get revenge against Leon and they want to, I think, kind of give back to them what they felt in 2019. Um, 
So I think that's probably more their focus going into the final. We're all about uh, boxing analogies this morning and uh, styles win fights. Just in terms of styles here, Kathleen, what are we thinking? Like it's the high press, obviously, of Barcelona, try and win the ball high up the pitch, flood the box, flood the final third. What's, what is the mix of styles going to be here? It's kind of This is part of the reason why I think it's going to be such an interesting matchup because they are both very similar the way that they play. They both like the high press. They both like their possession. I actually think when it comes down to it, it's going to be that midfield area is going to be really important. Like we know with Barcelona, the absolute quality that they have there with Patrick Gujaro, Bob Maschi, uh, Alexia Patelis, that is probably the area that's going to be most important. I'm interested to see how Barcelona do playing a team where they do they don't mind sitting off the ball sometimes and letting another team play. I know I saw them play against Arsenal in the Champions League earlier on in the year and they were perfectly happy to let Arsenal pass the ball around and then just snap it off them and absolutely just flood the box and get their goals. I think against Lyon, it's really going to be a test of patience for both teams who can hold on to the ball for the longest, who can get the ball to the likes of Hergerberg, who is the competition's top scorer. I think she's going to be really important for Lyon. Um, Katarine Macaro as well, the US women's national team player who can play in midfield or up front. I think those two players for Lyon are going to be important. I think both teams are going to be looking at shutting down those key areas, but it's going to be difficult because they're so loaded in so many different parts of the field. Um, but I think for Leon, definitely it's their forwards that they're going to be looking to. And then for Barcelona, it's going to be their midfield that they're going to hope to dominate on. What does this matchup, Kathleen, tell us about the, the power dynamics in Europe and the sport at the moment? Like, Do you see it trending towards the WSL's favour over the next little while? Like, I'm not sure what the, the, the financial breakdowns are compared to the, the, the French teams and the Spanish teams, but do you see the likes of Manchester City to a lesser extent behind Chelsea and Arsenal? I, I guess moving towards Lyon and Barcelona and then potentially putting distance between them if, if we're talking five, ten years into the future? Well, I think the argument tends to be that the WSL is probably the most competitive of all the leagues. It's the one that sees you know from all the way to the top to the bottom there's a the teams are a bit closer they're kind of competing a bit more this year in particular if you look at some of the transfers that are already going through i think it's interesting that we are seeing more players being attracted to the spanish league in particular you know the likes of caroline weir is tipped to go to from manchester city to real madrid um and that real madrid as well are putting in a major transfer season in general um if anything if any of the reports to go by so far i think it it goes back and forward i think where the spanish and french leagues have struggled before is that they've been quite top heavy i mean we saw this year in the spanish league you know teams not having their own medics and having to borrow medics off barcelona when they played them the see everything that barcelona have done for spanish football has definitely put a massive spotlight on it and I think the Euros this summer is probably going to only highlight it more. I don't know if the trend is there yet for like people to be going massively to some of the lower league or the lower in the league teams um for France and Spain. But I think it's inter- I like the fact that there's more competition coming in. I like the fact that we're not going into this match and being like, oh well Leon are gonna win because that's what Leon do every year. You know, it's a bit more. And I think the WSL in the Champions League in particular, it's an area it really needs to prove itself in. You know, Arsenal are the only pass winners of a long time ago. Chelsea got absolutely annihilated by 
um, Barcelona in the final last year. So for all that the WSL says that it has the best players and it has the best teams and money-wise, it, it would be up there. I know like Chelsea and Arsenal, definitely their sort of funds would be up there with what the likes of Barcelona, Lyon and PSG, even Bayern Munich and Wolfsburg are offering. But City, we've seen this summer are struggling a tiny bit because their their pay structures are slightly different to the others and mm. they do offer a bit less. And that is why we're seeing the likes of, say, Stanway leaving, uh, Caroline Weir, Lucy Bronze might be out the door. There's football reasons for it as well, but it definitely adds to the attraction if you know you can go somewhere and get a better wage packet. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how the... WSL teams, especially in the next season or two, kind of come back in the Champions League and prove themselves because they definitely didn't do it this year. And that's only going to harm them when it comes down the line where players are looking for Champions League football and looking for that trophy success. Even you know, Arsenal and Miedema, like it looks like she's going to sign a one-year extension now, but that's the thing she's talked about all the time is I want to win a Champions League trophy. Are you going to stay in a league that hasn't had a winner? And God knows, I think it's like eight years now. Yeah, she was advertising the jersey as well. It'd be uh, quite a U-turn if uh, if she wasn't actually wearing it next season for Arsenal. The um, is it too simplistic, Kathleen, to compare this era to where the men's game was at from like 2008 to 2012, where Barcelona are looking like they could become the dominant club team, and, and Spain are obviously favourites for this year's Euros as well, which is which is obviously similar to the international scene 14 to, to, to 10 years ago. I think it might be just because I think the game is at a very different place to where the men's game was even then. Um, you know, we're still seeing quite a lot of fluctuation in terms of teams coming up. And I know Spain have been tipped as favourites for this Euros, and that's largely on Barcelona's success. But also the team, the reason that Barcelona has been so successful isn't necessarily that they went after like major names or they went after the top stars they have amazing players who are top stars but they were really clever in their recruitment and they recruited for areas that they had issues with and they they built that over time and I don't think the Spanish team has done that necessarily in the same way and also in the way that it's very difficult to do that with an international side compared to a club side where you're with the team all the time I think Instead, this is more a pattern that we're going to see in women's football in general, where there's these constant power plays because people are getting more interested in the sport. People are putting more money into it. You know, we saw it in the WSL this year with the likes of Man United and Tottenham. People wouldn't have said at the start of the season that Tottenham would have looked like possibly getting a Champions League place for over half the season and then tailing off. Like if they put a little bit more money in the team, they could be competing in the Champions League next year and could be a powerhouse in three years time it's just it's much more difficult to know where the trend is going because everyone is almost still like the dust hasn't settled on the money that's being pumped into all the different leagues the money that's being pumped into the teams and I think that Barcelona could 100% dominate and for the next couple of years and I don't see it happening with the Spain team as much, but it, I mean, anything can happen. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if another team comes up next year and gives them a run for their money. In a word, Leon or Barcelona? Uh, I'm going to go with Leon just because I think Barcelona aren't always the best away from home. But 
We'll see. <laughs> yeah, as you say, it's at least it's a it's a good conversation to have now that the the outcome is definitely not uh, foregone. Uh, brilliant FA Cup final last weekend that we need to talk about as well. Chelsea beating Manchester City three two in the end. Uh, Chelsea got ahead and they cut Claude back. It goes to extra time and Sam Kerr gets the winner. And I was interested to see Emma Hayes talking afterwards about um, City underestimating them, um, which felt like a very pointed maybe post League Cup final, but very pointed. Yeah, I think it could have been because in the run-up to the match, there was a lot of talk from City players about how they were the best club and the best team in the league. And, you know, I do think it was quite remarkable what City did getting that final Champions League spot, considering how awful they were at the start of the season. You know, you were looking at a team of absolute stars and thinking that could be like a bottom-of-the-table sort of finish for them. Um, I think... I, I don't I think Emma Hayes was probably being unfair saying the city underestimated them. I don't think anyone goes up against Chelsea and underestimates them. And I think even the how close it was shows that they didn't underestimate them. Um Chelsea have they've shown exactly the sort of team they are in the especially in the last few matches of the season where they were da- they looked like they were down and out so many times and managed to just come back. I mean, Sam Kerr in particular <laughs> helped mm. them through a few scrapes, but I think their mentality is absolutely insane. They know how to get those ugly wins. Um, and maybe Man City were counting on them to play a bit uglier and not, and them to be able to press them enough that they wouldn't be able to get that final goal. That wasn't the case on the day, but. I think anyone who goes into playing Chelsea or City and underestimates the other side probably shouldn't be playing at Chelsea or City. <laughs> yeah, um, and I saw and Hayes as well talking about like this constant link of her uh, maybe going to a, to another club, complicated by everything that's going on at Chelsea, obviously at the minute. But she's saying no, no, there's no. She she says that thing that every manager says just before they move to another club. No, no, there's no truth in that. No idea about any of that stuff. Likely to stay, or what, what's your sense? I think she's likely to stay. Um, I think she has unfinished business with Chelsea, particularly when it comes to European football. And if you look at like her connection to Chelsea, is it's emotional. It goes, it's so deep. I mean, at the end, the final whistle at the weekend, she was thumping the badge on her chest, and there were tears on her eyes. And she has built Chelsea women into what they are that club would not exist at the level that it does without everything she's done and the thing I always say about Emma Hayes is she's an incredible player manager you know she has this ability to have a team of stars and the difference between say Chelsea and Barcelona is that like Chelsea will spend the money you know they've broken the British transfer record twice Uh, they brought in Pernilla Harder on the world transfer fee they're willing to spend that money but also she is able to manage that team and is so close to them that none of the egos get in the way of their play and I always think that's incredibly impressive and I think part of that comes from how close the bond is with her and the club Um, so I don't think she's going anywhere soon I think if she wins a Champions League title say maybe next year then maybe she might look for a new challenge but I just think that she enjoys life at Chelsea far too much to leave and I think it would have to be a very interesting project for her to leave you know she's not going to she's not going to go unless she sees something that she can really make a difference in yeah um 
you've got a whole list of stuff that we're going to come back to next week, Kathleen. Players of the year, underrated players, underperformers, loads of stuff. But we're going to there's too much in that to do it now, so I don't want to squeeze it in. We'll come back to it if you're if you're around next week. But there is one thing I want to ask you about before we let you away. The I was struck by uh, two stories. One of them from uh, Ireland outside of the soccer stuff. It bubbled up again during the week with uh, I saw Fiona, Fiona McHale pointing to it from the BBC. Um, Podcast, uh, the GEA social podcast, where they brought up about uh, expenses around the LJFA again, and the fact that there that there aren't uh, any. And Fiona McHale saying that uh, can confirm that LJFA players do not get expenses. If I were to claim mileage, uh, the way men do, or weekly travel expenses, about five hundred quid. So um, that's bubbling away, and it's uh, remarkable to be still having that conversation in twenty twenty two. I would have thought actually, as people talking about the uh, potential merger between the GEA, LGFA and the Camogie Association that that would see to that I would have thought actually the GEA and G, uh, sorry the GPA and the LGPA merger would have actually gone a long way to trying to help that sort of uh, conversation but it doesn't appear to have done so that on the one side and then events in the US Kathleen during the week obviously with the uh, men's and uh, women's national team getting an equal split of World Cup bonuses is a major development yeah, it's massive. And I think what's so big about it is that it really moves on the conversation from where we were. I know how excited we were, say, when Ireland announced equal pay for our men's and women's teams and like the talks that went into it. But this is this is putting pressure on the likes of FIFA. This is looking at, you know, the entire world and saying, OK, well, we've gone one step further. Why can't you guys? Um, I also think it's remarkable because obviously we saw like six years of lawsuits between the U.S. Soccer Federation and the U.S. Women's National Team and the one thing that the U.S. Soccer Federation always said, among a lot of other very <laughs> offensive things generally, but they said that they would never split bonuses from World Cups because it would bankrupt the entire federation. And that was kind of the big thing that came out of the announcement. Um, and it, it's like you say, you mentioned the expenses thing there. It's the fact that the U.S. Soccer Federation and the U.S. Women's National Team have gone as far as to say, well, for every match that the men's team have, we're going to split the ticket sales with the women and vice versa, which, I mean, in the US, like the US women's national team often pull in more people than the men anyway, so it does mm. benefit them. But if you think about the fact that to the final place team in the men's World Cup last time out earned more money than the team that won it, it's amazing. And like the bonuses for Qatar, I think, are something like 400 million. And the U.S. Women's National Team are going to get access to that compared to the 60 million that you would get in the World Cup pool for the women's side. So it takes a conversation another level. It gives other sides something to point to and say, well, okay, we got our equal pay, but why aren't we getting expenses or why aren't we getting same treatment when it comes to travel? We've seen stories so many times about women's team being stuck on you know, bad flights or not even getting a flight, having to take a train across the country or whatever it might be. So it's just, it's another beacon. It's another thing to say, well, this isn't abnormal. And I loved, um, Midge Purse was talking about it afterwards and she was quoting her dad and she said, you know, you, you shouldn't have to thank people for things that should just be done. And I think that's what I took from this. You know, it's great that it's happened and I'm delighted that it has, but um, we were not going to hand out any gold stars either because it should have been done a long time ago and I hope people see it as something for the future and something to aim towards um, because at the end of the day if women's sport had been given the sort of money that men's sport has been for all these years we would be having a lot more fun talking about sport rather than 
money and economics and human rights, I suppose. Catch up with you next week. Thanks, Kathleen. You then. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Kathleen McNamee from the Coigig uh, podcast. Conor Mullen saying, strange lads that you do, you make comments about Lampard being loved in the media, uh, but never say anything about the Liverpool love in a massive bias for the whole football club, says Conor Mullins, the typically you tend to be a Manchester United fan. Yeah, um, comments about uh, bias in the media are always quite funny you know they, I think a lot of Liverpool fans the other day would have said there's such a, a an anti-Liverpool bias in the voice of Martin Tyler and uh, then we got a studio to Jamie Carragher um, yeah, uh, who was yeah, like yeah. the most ever present uh, pundit on television I think I think you can find bias wherever you want wherever you want it. there was a very good TikTok that I saw during the week of some uh, some lad doing the Martin Tyler it was like a visual did you see it the visual yeah, of Martin Tyler good. sort of with the Minamino go- with the Mini- Minamino go wasn't yes. it he was like Oh, I mean, I mean, when you compare it with the uh, the the Aguero commentary, which like was the great, maybe the greatest commentary of all time, he's always. Got oh, but you can't compare Minamino's equaliser against Southampton to Aguero's goal that I know. literally won the Premier League. But also, people <laughs> say he's a Man United fan, which the which the Aguero goal would go. I know, but you can ma- you can make that point without comparing Minamino's goal to uh, Aguero's goal. They're um, vastly different in importance. Coming up on twenty minutes past eight, it's Friday morning. You're watching OTBAM, and uh, I want to let you know that this weekend, nine of our offshore islands are going to set sail for Bear Island in Cork for the annual All Islands Gaelic Football Tournament. It's back after a couple of years' absence, and there'll be eighteen men's and women's teams uh, competing there, and uh, it'll always uh, also be a celebration of island culture and island life. Uh, we're going to head west right now for a message from one of the island teams ahead of a very major weekend. How's it going off the ball? Um, this is Luke Murray here from Inishbofin GAA. Uh, I just wonder if you could give a big shout out to the Inishbofin men's and women's Gaelic football teams um, who are heading down to Bear Island this weekend for the annual Islands All-Ireland Football Tournament. Um, it's the first time since before COVID that the tournament has been able to go ahead, so uh, we're all very excited about heading down. So it'd be great if you could just give a shout out to, to the Boffin teams and also to all the other islands who will be competing this weekend from uh, County Donegal, County Mayo, County Galway and County Cork um, we're looking forward to a great weekend of football and crack and uh, hopefully we can come out of there with a couple of trophies on Sunday so best of luck to all the guys that are competing and uh, thanks for giving us a shout out uh, that's Luke Murray from Inishboff and GEA and they're all heading south uh, this weekend you can keep track on the progress and events and the crack I'm absolutely certain of that at uh, Bear Islands GEA on Twitter for much more details on all of that it is uh, 20 past 8 it's Friday morning we've loads to come Ronan Agar is going to be live on the show uh, a little bit later on uh, quick picks uh, on the way and uh, plenty more as well besides first of all our first road show in three years is nearly here it's the football pod and they've just added a Mayo legend uh, to the lineup for Castle Bar, the Royal Theatre, June the second. Joining Paddy and James uh, is a man that they've had several bat- battles with on big days at Croke Park. But we are, for now at least, sworn to secrecy. Uh, stay tuned over the coming days when all will be revealed. Uh, brilliant night of football and chat. Lots of focus on Mayo. Clearly, uh, it's the football pod with Paddy, James, and Tommy in Castle Bar Thursday, June second. Tickets are twenty euro plus booking fees, and you can head along to otbsports.com forward slash events right now for much more on all of that some of these critics these pundits I absolutely adore them lads I have unbelievable time from but they're, they're a great bunch but it's not acceptable I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it it's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team all you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency but they just dismiss you like, like you know you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion Quick picks 8.24 Friday morning Tommy good morning to you Morning 
How are you getting on? I'm good. How are you guys? Good. Um, we were just debating in the ads there about how the uh, three of you were fawning over that uh, clip of Rory Canavan doing his little sort of solo with the head up. A skill you can do yourself, is it? Or Oh, no. You can't no, solo with your head up. Not like that, at that pace. You can solo with your head up. You can do it like... You can you can slow down and put your head up and look around you and scan, but at that pace, Adrian, come on, have you ever done that? Oh yeah, that was immense. You were back game. at hurling training this year. My immense day in my game. I mean, it's easier to do with the hurling, obviously, but um, well, I put it to you this way: James O'Donoghue had never seen it like that before. Do you know what? I feel like an awful fraud having any sort of counterpoint to what you're saying when James O'Donoghue. Whatever about you, Tommy, and your your amazing football prowess. Who am I to argue with James O'Donoghue? Very but true. I I did feel as if you were gilding the lily. I'm not going to lie. It, Lily, the, the, the pass was unbelievable. I thought you were over-egging the, uh, the skill. It, it wasn't the pass. Well, the pass was, was brilliant, but it was exceptional, the pass. Was the it pass not better pass. Than, than the solo? No. What do you think? Uh, it passes. Like, like, Rory Canavan is going to be a star, and it already looks like... I know you kind of... Uh, were you kind of like potentially theorising that he could be dropped in pretty soon to that Tyrone panel that he could almost do a job this year Tommy uh, the thing mm-hmm. about this guy is that he looks like he looks stockier than Dara I'm not sure if that's right but it looks like he can almost like slot into senior level quicker than his his brother could and like I'm surprised about Dara we haven't seen more Dara maybe this year for Tyrone and I'm sure he'll have a glittering career over the next couple of years and we'll probably have a, a Tyrone forward line where the two Canavans will play but it looks like Rory's even more capable of slotting right into that team like I mean I obviously would have watched him quite closely in the semi-final more than any other game this season when he destroyed Kerry in that second half this kid is amazing this kid is absolutely fantastic and um, I think it's going to be next year Tommy when we actually see him make a, a serious impact it's, we're not actually going to be waiting too long to see him to see him make strides in, in senior intercounty football I, I think I think so as well Owen um, Paddy was asking can he be brought straight in yeah. and James is kind of like no no it, it's it's too early lads are too young at that age these days you know um, Canavan's still underage for 20s next year so needs must, imagine needs be, must Tommy well you know he may be in the mix for the, the qualifiers this year depending on who they get you, you don't know because um, there's obviously been such a turnover in the Tyrone squad one fella who'll definitely be in there is is Matty McLean and oh my God. young lad. He, like, do you think he has the physicality for intercounty football, Tommy? Well, if anyone does own, <laughs> it's it's young McLean and, and I would wouldn't be afraid He's of sticking young. him on the edge of the square. He's twenty five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He has to be. Um which was the better skill? Uh, the kick pass uh, I, 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 but I'm, I love a kick pass uh, <laughs> like you, but everybody is taught to solo with their head up I guess it's just the pace isn't it that maybe is the, no, the key no. factor here people naturally when their head goes up the oh. pace goes down um, oh, the kick pass oh. was, was exceptional but like I mean oh. well, whatever, oh, whatever everyone, Tommy and James say is uh, exactly how do you argue no, gospel? everyone is told to solo with their head up no one does it watch, watch the football is there any football in this there's only games in GA go so you may not watch it Watch the football next weekend in the four provincial finals. Tommy says, and point out to me, Adrian, how many people solo here, with their the heads way, up. I'm not saying it's not done. I'm sorry, I'm not saying it is done. You're a hundred percent right. I'm just, and I'm not saying it wasn't a very impressive bit of skill. It was class. I'm just saying I just thought you were gilding the lily. I'm, get, I'm getting a tone here, Tommy, that you're saying that we won't see any heads up soloing in the Talton Cup. That's a big setback for this competition that we have to host a football pod <laughs> slamming the basic skills of the Talton Cup. That, that is well, absolutely not what I'm saying. I'm saying in anything. 
I like that. Like the only dub that that Paddy suggested did it was Michael Darren McCauley. And I, I, saw, I heard that. You, 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 no, no, I think that's right. I didn't know I think he's right. Enough. No, yeah. I think he was right. I think he was right. I thought you'd uh, you paid no attention to it at all. Yeah. Uh, we'll take that as our cue to move on. I think we have a leaderboard, which is incredible. This is the first time. Uh, why we? Why do we do these leaderboards? They're just a waste of time. They're a total waste of time. And I should point out as well that the asterisks there on your man, who's number one on the list, is because like basically it's been easier for him to get there on. Um, because he's done, he's had to he skip the hardest games. week. Yeah, exactly, he, yeah, he, he skipped the week where Mayo got beaten. And, yeah, dipping in and out. You weren't in that week. It'd, oh. be, it'd be embarrassing for you, anyway, Tommy, if you don't. Given your role that we've just been discussing there, if you don't end up top of that leaderboard, yourself or Will. Yeah, predictions aren't an easy game, boys. You know that as well as I do. Where Where are the rest of them today? They're crying off, but they have sent through their predictions. So some okay. brilliant permutations. We're going to get straight into it. The hurling to begin with, unbelievable permutations here over the weekend as to who's going to have to advance. Uh, Kilkenny versus Wexford is first up. All five of us um, have gone for Kilkenny here. It's probably one of the most straightforward. Are you grimacing on the basis that you think Wexford? Well, I grimace whenever we all go one direction yeah, in, in this. And also the facts, like, I think it's just once in the last five games... Kilkenny have beaten Wexford over 70 minutes yes there's a history to that that doesn't seem to exist with this Wexford team at mm. the moment that they maybe despite their league form have come off a peak that we saw a few years ago I just think that when you bring the quality that they still have in that squad into proceedings this weekend it's not a sure thing the one thing that's kind of given me confidence in picking Kilkenny is that you have Brian Cody coming out saying we're looking at it like we're fighting to stay in the championship uh, yeah. like almost as if they're the wounded animal rather than Wexford who drew at Westmead last week so when Brian Cody is talking those terms you do tend to fear Kilkenny uh, obviously Kilkenny can be beaten I, I think that on their day Dublin Galway and Wexford can all beat Kilkenny and I think we'll see a really exciting Leinster Championship over the next couple of years uh, but this weekend I, I would certainly be beating uh, tipping Kilkenny at home Right. I want to get through these at some pace, Tommy. Have you had that on that or we crack on? Nothing to disagree with with Owen there. And I just think the home advantage, Nolan Park, yeah. is a massive factor. Yeah. Galway Dublin is next up. And again, I do, this is somewhat surprising. Uh, Galway, all the way from all five of us. Um, the, the permutations here is basically that's a shootout for a place in the Leinster final. If Wexford can somehow manage to hold Kilkenny to even a draw or beat them, then Dublin will go into the All-Ireland. All- Ireland series no matter what happens at that game at Pierce Stadium um, but a win will put them into the Leinster final uh, could put them into the Leinster final where uh, if you're still with me a draw for Galway uh, will see them into the Leinster final uh, but they're already through to the knockout rounds is that all clear it feels like an, an own Shane <laughs> explainer here hopefully fairly clear but um, Galway on evidence Tommy feels is the right call uh, I think so Adrian I've always found it difficult to warm to the Dublin hurlers over the last couple of years um, I find it hard to back them. I just don't. I, just, I haven't ever seen them really do it. Um, and I think they're actually we go quite easy on them as well. I, I, I don't know are the standards set high enough. Like I, I just don't know why Dublin hurling hasn't gotten to where it should have gotten to over the last couple of years. So yeah. too busy um, signing autographs, Tommy. Oh yeah, I heard that. Was it not selfies? Was that not the issue on? Was it selfies? Uh, or yeah, maybe like obviously that that, um, that like I mean, what, what are you going to do? Just uh, turn down people looking for selfies? Yeah. Like it was pretty kids. pretty harsh yeah. criticism. No, I, I I'd, I'd be more worried about like I mean the the reaction afterwards. I, I wouldn't read into it at all. It's it's like Galway drew with Kilkenny and Galway beat uh, or uh, Kilkenny beat this team by seventeen points just last week. 
when we're mm. making a prediction I think that that has to have some sort of weighting you can't extrapolate results from three different teams but I think for the 17 point gap it would give you a bit of confidence mm-hmm. in predicting this I do like like I mean maybe I'm just maybe I'm just remembering the summer of 2019 just a little bit too much here but I like I'm, I'm just a little bit cautious uh, of how simplistic these two predictions feel that there has to be some sort mm. of cat amongst the pigeons right? Yeah well look, I think the, the biggest story on Dublin as Tommy was talking about not being able to trust them was the Wexford game in the league a few weeks ago and everybody thought Jesus actually maybe there, maybe there's something about them but then the Westmead result maybe casts all that into doubt as well um, but it'll be a proper test of where they're at this Owen, week. Owen if there was to be an upset in these two games who would you be going for? Wexford would you? Okay. Wexford, yeah. I, think, I, I, just, I, I just think Galway, if anyone is likely to I'd probably to cross, say Dublin. Galway. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. I can see why I'd say that, but like, and I know that there is a, a, a golfing class between Westmead and Kilkenny, the, the two opponents of the teams we were analysing last week, but it's, it's still, one was a, a heavy, heavy defeat, and I know drawing with Westmead will feel like a defeat, but it, it wasn't one. Um, I, like, I mean, we're, we're trying to, to pick between... I think I, might, I could be wrong, but there might have been only be like a, a point between Westmeath and Kilkenny at halftime. I know I'm sort of grasping at straws there. Yeah, but it was close, actually. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. Uh, Claire Waterford next up. And uh, now we have a bit of a split at last. Owen, Will and myself are going for Claire. And uh, Ashling and Tommy, bizarrely, uh, are going for Waterford. Uh, Waterford desperately in Cork to lose in Thurless. Um uh, hard to get a read I suppose on where Waterford are at almost whether Tommy and you're going for them here but are they genuine contenders or still a work in progress well we'll know on Sunday you but know? you're predicting so you're, you're, you're put your well, neck in the block here you I'm, feel there must be I'm, if you're predicting them to beat Clare who are a genuine contender right yeah but Adrian were, were Clare genuine contenders in your head last week you're saying that now but were they last week genuine contenders I always come back to Tony head. Kelly but like anybody's a contender when you've got him in the team oh of course no, no, of course, and and the 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 manner in which Claire rose to the occasion last week was exceptional to see, and their fitness levels, their physicality, their athleticism, I like blown away by it at the minute. Like they've clearly done incredible work over the last two years, um, and they're in a really good place. And there's a lot of players in that Claire squad who have come nowhere near their ceiling yet. Never mind Tony Kelly. So this weekend, though, I, I just feel like the fact that Claire are in the Munster final. It's been a hectic couple of weeks. They didn't play round one. Um, they've been back-to-back for the last couple of weeks. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think there'd be too many changes, but even three, four, five changes can kind of change the, I suppose, the momentum, the drive, the engine of a team. And Clare did have a couple of injuries coming into the start of the the, the, the Munster Championship. Mm-hmm. They've kept their team together. I wouldn't be surprised a couple of their core players are possibly tapered off or rested or, or whatever well, Claire so, players yeah Claire players so I think right. because they don't need a result this weekend insider so, he's got insider information is what he's saying here yeah like, I, have no, I, have no, I have no information whatsoever and I also just think that the quirk of the, the, these round robin championships like Owen's talking about 2019 there where Galway got caught and it felt freakish that Galway were knocked out if that happens this year at Waterford it will feel like that like they've managed to somehow leave it behind them I do, I, like obviously it's not in their own hands we'll come to the next game and I'm starting to doubt myself about my prediction for the next game. I just think Waterford are going to get the job done this weekend. I actually think it wouldn't be freakish at all if, if Waterford uh, don't make it through this. Galway, it, it did feel freakish. I agree with you. Uh, the manner of, I think they all ended on six points, wasn't it? And it was scoring difference mm. uh, that day in 2019. So that was mad. 
If Waterford don't make it, it's because they lost two games. Like, there's nothing freakish about that. They didn't deserve to beat Water- uh, Cork. They didn't deserve to beat Limerick. And, and in fact, the revisionism that we're seeing now is actually, did Waterford just put a glass in the scoreline against Limerick later on, rather than the initial narrative was, was it a great comeback? You have Michael Dignan this week saying that Waterford don't respond well to pressure. That's uh, like wonder for me. I've yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he actually said there was, he thinks there's something psychologically wrong with them, that their option taking is poor under pressure but also just in general play so the, the question is does that motivate them this weekend as a dressing room wall scenario or is Michael Dyke actually just right about Waterford I'm possibly going with the latter here and he might, he might be onto something with regards to, to what we've seen like the pressure in the league is non-existent and they played really well and they absolutely have the players to be in the top three teams in Munster but there was a, a certain high pressure uh, scenario last weekend which they didn't perform well in I also think Tommy Clare have an opportunity to just knock Waterford out like we were saying as if you mm. know, there's no motivation here for Clare whatsoever you beat Waterford oh, no, you I knock them out you that, summer. Yeah, I agree sorry I'm not, I'm not yeah. saying you said that but uh, I, I, we often have this uh, this conversation around the team who are through as if you know they've mm. got nothing to play for mm. still think there's a, there's a bit of a carrot there Stephen for Clare Gerard, and uh, Stephen Gerrard approach here to you know it's, it's important it's important the three points for us yeah. Tipperary and Cork um, is the other game we want to get to here we have Owen the only one who's going for Tip we have Ashling, Will and Tommy going for Cork and I'm going for a draw I really actually the more I looked at this last night I thought that's not not the greatest call the permutations here Cork can win at Thurless Uh, if Cork can win at Thurless they're into the All-Ireland series Um, and you know look at maybe that clarity for them um, coming back from the brink is all that Cork need to to grind it out Uh, Tiberi needing a 7 point win and for Clare to beat Waterford so at least everybody's fairly clear in this one as to uh, what's going to happen but Tommy, you're going for you're feeling Cork. Yeah, and I'm really tempted to <laughs> to change it. Really? Um, I am. I just think there's going to be something chaotic, as Owen said. Something chaotic is going to happen. Both games are on side by side on Sunday evening. It's going to be mental. Um, I think there's going to be some sort of drama. Now, look, I'll stick with Cork going off the back of their well, performance last weekend. No, yeah. Um, yeah, let's wrap up. Cork, but, but yeah, yeah. We'll wrap up with the football, the Talton Cup, Tommy. You mentioned a bit earlier on. Um, Wicklow and Waterford will be the first ever game in the uh, Talton Cup, and we're all going for Wicklow. Any yeah, kid? we're going. Yeah, I'm going. For, I'm going for Wicklow, but like Waterford are four to one, and Waterford shouldn't be four to one. Fair enough. They were bottom or very close to bottom of Division Four, but they were very competitive in every single one of their games. Eve Fitzgerald. Um, did get a tune out of them this year and Conor Murray's been out talking he's a very talented footballer himself this week about what it's like to be a Waterford footballer they're not going to be that far away but I just think Alan Costello came in halfway through the league with Wicklow and uh, I've seen some good things with them um, but I, it shouldn't be 4-1 to one. Yeah, the Conor Murray comments were interesting actually and will give you like a, a good degree of excitement around what this competition can actually bring for a few counties. You definitely get a sense off Waterford that they're looking over at Limerick and thinking to themselves, why can't we replicate what they've done on the football pitch? Mm. I think there's probably a bit of a, a playing resources difference, a significant one maybe. Mm. Uh, mm. So, so maybe it's not comparing like with like, but they've made the point that like, they've really built on league form over the last couple of years, which has translated now into a first Munster final in quite some time. The Talton Cup will be as important as the league at least for a lot of these teams if they do it the right way and we've seen how that could be the building block for a team he's also uh, talking up the idea of playing in in Croke Park he says talking to a few of his Leinster counterparts it's almost like a slog going up to Croke Park Mm -hmm. I think for Leinster players at the moment there's an obvious reason for that but I think the carrot of playing in Croke Park for the water of the footballers would be be a big one and for any of the non-Leinster counties involved in this so hopefully hopefully this thing just kind of captures some sort of imagination over the next few weeks Yeah, Dublin and Meath it seems are the only teams happy to play 
Crow Park on they're just uh, no, delighted, no, yeah. no need to uh, no need to challenge any of that stuff Wexford Offaly is the last port of call for us and now I'm surprised about this because I actually thought if I went for Offaly that the rest of you were going the opposite yeah. direction and I might have a bit of a shake because obviously it's a repeat of the game that they only played a few weeks ago which Wexford came out on top of so yeah, I, that's I think, not a good sign. No, it's not. Especially why have we all gone for Offaly? Well, like, I need, yeah, yeah, I don't know. For like, for, for me, it's because it, like if Offaly had won that game against Wexford in the championship, they would have been the ones to take the twenty-something point battering off Dublin, mm. and they would be the ones coming in with their tail between the legs. Although we still probably would. I, I, I go with that. Yeah, um, I think I think that like we shouldn't expect Wexford to put up a, um, to not get hammered by Dublin, especially the form Dublin are looking in at the moment. But I do think the, the magnitude of the defeat can have a bit of an impact. Like if Ben Brosnan turns on the lights again like he did last time, he scored 1-8 in that game against Offaly last time out, it's, it's, it could be a decisive factor. I think one player can actually uh, turn a game like this. And the sounds from the Offaly camp have been a little bit mixed like I think I think Mahan's up for for sure but we, like there was definitely kind of mixed messages coming out from post Westwood game to, to what we're getting now so uh, I definitely think this is it's not a coin toss but it's it's only two or three points in it we're all getting carried away with this Offaly uprising Tommy I was hoping Will O'Callaghan would be here because Offaly have been plagued by injuries over the last month and I, like I have no idea whether they've cleared up or not mm. getting injury information off GA teams can be quite difficult so it's all going to come down to that like Playing depth at this level is is going to be one of the big factors over the next four, five, six weeks as squads go into the summer, and they try and maintain their you know the the levels of physicality and athleticism as we've spoken about before. Offaly should have the quality if they have their players, so we'll see. Uh, and one comment just to leave it on on YouTube here from Thomas O'Connell does anyone think the negativity of the promotion of the Charlton Cup has been a bit harsh promo the other day was very good and looks like they've made it extra uh, content to come as well Cup is class too which I think everybody's on board with uh, Tommy fair play good man thanks lads see you well later done. well done that's the quick picks I absolutely adore them lads I have unbelievable time for them but they're, they're a great bunch but it's not acceptable we have live Ronan Agar to come in about 10 minutes or thereabouts and uh, we have live Crappy Quiz to come as well a little bit later on so uh, all happening here at OTBM do keep your comments coming into us there's uh, loads of them coming in about the various things happening this morning the one thing we haven't really got to touch on John Duggan good morning to you is the golf Adrian and I want to be well flying it yeah it's a monster mad chaotic 24 hours of sport it's been like that all week with a lot of soccer matches late in the evening so it's um, been a sleep deprived week but a week where uh we just go back into the TV and, and hook the TV to our veins and uh, we go again. Is our boy going to see it out? I think he is. I think he's going to do it. You do? Yeah. So, like, is that framing the question, not getting ahead of ourselves, seeing it out, like he's one stroke clear. This is not the US Open in, in 2011. Like, It's not the magnitude of the lead. No, not at all. Um, all he can do is look upon uh, what you've seen. I watched every shot yesterday and he's playing like he played in the final day of the Masters. Yeah, he's playing with freedom. There's no sports star that I've ever seen to ride the momentum uh, like Rory McIlroy can. And when he's not riding that freedom, he goes into reverse. Even there's a couple of instances yesterday when he made bogeys on par threes, and then he got the momentum back in the final hole with a 15 footer for birdie. Uh, seven uh, birdies, two bogeys, five under par. Uh, he was f- averaging 332 yards off the tee. I don't know if you guys played Tiger Woods PGA Tour uh, computer game. But, you know, when he got very good at it, you'd, just hit, you'd always hit it long and straight down the middle, over 300 yards. And that's what he was doing yesterday. He, his short game was good. He was sharp. Um, he's been playing well. Paul McGinley said that he 
has been doing a lot of work with Bob Bertella, the psycho psychologist, the mind guy that Padraig Harrington used to use. I think that's been a big thing for Rory. Now, I did see earlier in the season at Bay Hill, Rory shot a seven under opening round and then the weather beat him up and he went backwards and he ended up just completely collapsing. Well, and Scotty Scheffler won that tournament. So that is the danger. So this yeah. is not a done deal. So the thing about Rory is Rory needs to put this together for probably two and a half rounds mm. and then not mess up the other one and a half because you're going to have moments when it's going to dip. And there's talented players, as you say, behind him own. Will Zalatoris and Tom Hoagie, four under par. But more importantly, I think Justin Thomas is three under. Cameron Smith. Cameron Smith is two under. Yeah. Matt Fitzpatrick is playing well, two under. Wacken Neiman, we know, is talented, two under par as well. Scotty Scheffler, one over. So this is definitely not a done deal. But once again, Rory, you're probably going to get the best of the weather today because it's going to be very breezy earlier on. And then the wind is meant to dip a bit at Southern Hills. So that actually, I think the people who got the early late draw have definitely an advantage on the field. It was one stroke advantage yesterday on the rest of the field. So I think Shane Larry has a propensity at the moment to make too many mistakes. He threw one in the water there yesterday at 13. I think Rory, if Rory, Rory has to keep the foot on the gas. Even if he makes mistakes, he has to be aggressive and back himself. Because you see it in his body language, you see the bounce and the step. I think he actually enjoyed playing with Tiger and Jordan yesterday, Jordan Spieth, and he outplayed them considerably. Now Tiger Woods isn't fit, but Rory still did it. JD, you're talking about him playing for like playing for two and a half day, uh, two and a half days, as in going for it for two and a half no, days. No, uh, playing with that like extreme uh, freedom uh, of scoring and, aggr- and aggressiveness almost. Yeah, just freedom. I so, would say so, freedom. So what happens when so when he's going for it, right? And he's he's going for it yesterday. And he's taking Stefan, and the putts are dropping from like was it? I don't know how many feet that put in the ninth was from to 15, wrap up yeah. 15 foot and like they're the sort of ones that we've seen like how many times we've been sat on the couch on a Saturday and Sunday evening watching Rory at a major or a regular PGA event where those ones are slipping by and there's nothing he can do to drop them like when that sort of stuff comes on or or when he is if he does get a couple of shots lead if he does continue to play aggressively like how is his game when he needs to sit back a bit if he's trying to protect a lead um, I, I don't think he can sit back in this PGA I think he has to go for it and the reason why he has to go for it Adrian is because his driving is so good at the moment he hits it so far and so long and so straight that if he if he begins to get conservative in that area then I think that could work against him because the key thing though is you have to hit the fairways and like Rory sometimes is not the best win player because he hits the ball so high so he has to get the ball in the fairway everybody after their rounds would have said yesterday that if you're not in the fairway at Southern Hills you're in trouble in terms of where you position your ball around those tight, small greens with the slopes on them. But if you're in the fairway, then you can attack the certain aspects of the greens. And that's what Rory was able to do yesterday. Um, but momentum, again, a couple of putts he had for par that he sank earlier in the uh, back nine of his round kept him going. I think w- those short putts you mentioned, I think the thing about him is is that he can't let the shoulders drop. He can't uh, let the doubt seep into his mind. And that's why Harry Diamond is very important uh, over the next three days as caddy that, and everybody's working with that he just needs to continue to, to feel that uh, sense of looseness uh, that, that he felt earlier in his career to go and win this uh, Wanamaker Trophy for a third time in a fifth major. It does feel like this weekend could be like another referendum on Rory McIlroy's bottle. Like it, it felt the last day of the Masters, given how extraordinary he was, was almost fuel for people to say, well, he doesn't have the bottle. Where was he when it really mattered? Using the really positive last day as a stick to beat Rory with. If he doesn't win this... I suspect the same conversation will come back up, despite the fact that you mentioned the strength of the chasing pack. And he's got one stroke on the pack. The like, it's not like he, yeah. He's not like eight strokes clear here. Like, as oh. I say, this is not like the US Open at the, the halfway point in 2011. Now, in fairness, he did go on and win that. But he hasn't opened up a chasm yet. And I just think that this is going to be a, a, a pivotal moment in the narrative around Rory, whatever way this goes over the next three days. Yeah, if he shoots another 65 today, 
I, I, like the thing about it is with the players, a lot of players, I think there's about 26 under par of 156. And if you can get to say eight or nine or 10, you're really talking about a tournament then, Owen, that has a maybe about five to 10 contenders mm. in it. And that's when I think he's, he's, in, he's in a position where he can win this because ultimately he just needs to back his game because his game is suited to the course because given he's an aggressive long driver, you've got to drive the ball well. I think the most important thing at um, Southern Hills is to drive the ball in the fairway and then you can capitalise on that. Even Will Zalatoris, who people would go and he missed a, a real titter yesterday, was still top the putting stats mm. uh, because he was, he was very good with his long game and that helped him to get to four under par. But I, like Justin Thomas is somebody you've got to respect. He's won 14 times in the Tour. Matt Fitzpatrick's playing very well. The Chileans, Wacken Neiman, Mito Pereira up there. Even one of my boys, Patrick Cantlay, one of the most disastrous tips I think I've ever given since the last time I gave Patrick Cantlay the tip. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas Peters, though, is... Four of my lads are under par. I've got yeah. Lucas Herbert at 250 to one with two under par. Uh, Thomas Peters, one under par. Sander Schaffler and Rory. Rory's my second pick. But um, Shane, I'm not so sure. Seamus Power, I think, is beginning still to... Well, he's still trying to find his way through majors. I think he's still quite a... He hasn't got enough reps in majors yet. Um, Tiger, as I said, is physically... Uh, struggling. Is, should, should we just come to grips with that's going to be Tiger? JD, yeah, like, do we get a I bit spoiled so. at the Masters? And yeah, I, I think it's amazing to see Tiger there, to be honest, at all, even playing a Tina up at a, a tournament. I think St Andrews would be much easier for him. I think physically, it looks like it was a hot day yesterday in Oklahoma. It, like Tiger, the sweat was just pouring off him in his interview with Sky Sports afterwards. So um, there's going to be shocks. You, you can easily find a situation, lads, where Rory McElroy uh, at times this weekend will not be in the lead. Mm. and how he responds as you say to that character test will be very instructive let's use the 30 seconds before you leave us JD to flag up that what people should be uh, tuned into and off the ball over the weekend uh, uh, well tomorrow Football Saturday David Myler joining the team uh, we're going to look ahead to the final day of the season and reminiscence Saipan 20 years on we have also a Saturday panel on core curling with three core curling legends I suppose it's really important ahead of the Tipperary game on uh, Sunday Racing as always with Johnny Ward, and then on Sunday, of course, we have commentary of Manchester City against Aston Villa. Stephen Doyle and Brian Kerr on the final day of the Premier League season, keeping you right up to date as well on Liverpool and Wolves. Brilliant! Thanks, William JD. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Uh, chat on the PGA there and uh, further afield as well. It is uh, ten to nine. Loads of comments still coming into us about uh, loads of stuff, including Rick Jagger. Who doesn't love JD on a Friday morning? JD, lots of love out there for you. So um, good stuff. Please, uh, please do keep your comments coming in. Whatever it is, uh, about ten to nine Friday morning. Ronald Agarra, good morning to you. Hey Adrian, how are you? How are you keeping? Very well, yourself? The nice quiet few, uh, nice quiet run into the season continues. Congratulations. We don't uh, generally take time to say well done. Yeah, it's great, yeah. It's uh, back to another Champions Cup final, so it's fantastic, yeah. Very exciting. And then uh, more immediately, top 14 game against that Francais tomorrow. So that's a huge game. So it's uh, all big games, which makes it easy for, for everybody. Do you give yourself time to like congratulate yourself or enjoy the moment of appreciate the moment of like two finals in back to back is phenomenal? Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is. It's great. Uh, but you want to be try to win these finals. That's that's the next step. And there's people involved at that level uh, understand that it's multi-dimensional to to do that. So it's 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 a process, but. Uh, it is very exciting. Yeah, I did enjoy the end of the game with Donica Ryan the last day because we played poorly. But it says something about our team to be able to win a semi-final playing poorly. And uh, and uh, that's the most important thing. Semi-finals are all about getting to the final. And then in the final, you obviously want to try and find a way to win a final. But um, I think uh, you got to appreciate the small wins. It's very, very important. 
what what's how much time do you do you spend doing that like i know you're I knew you were going to say to me, listen, it's grand to get to the final, but you got to be winning them, and definitely. And maybe that's... Is there any part of you that's like, right, that's a story for another day, but for today, we enjoy this, we sit down as a group, we pat each other on the, on the back about it, or, yeah, when you're enjoying it with Dunnegan on the pitches, it's sort of like, that's it, done, and we move on. Well, it was a six-day turnaround, you know, that's always probably there, so you play Sunday evening, and all of a sudden, the boys are recovering Monday, you're into Tuesday, and, like... Uh, you know, players need rest as well, and uh, all of a sudden you arrive at Thursday and you start France in 48 hours. So, mm. uh, I think um, this Champions Cup semi final is a huge event in itself. Um, but I suppose before that, we knew that Stade Francais was six days later, so there was an eye in terms of how we're going to recover. The planning was hugely important, and um, I think this week has gone well. Um, We'll have a captain's run later on today and then uh, play tomorrow. And then after tomorrow, you can uh, start focusing on Marseille. Is your sense that the, the focus on Marseille, a lot of the homework can be carried over from last year or is it a completely blank canvas when it comes to that prep? Yeah, it's completely blank canvas on, you know, I think it's... it's of, I suppose, even uh, little significance in the fact that it was a game behind closed doors. And, you know, when you look back at, at that game, um, yeah, I mean, it's there's no emotion really in it in the fact because the the place was empty. It was a soulless game and uh, so much has happened for both teams between that. It's different teams, different players. Um, for me... Uh, it would be kind of an error to 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 look at that as as the focal point of your week. You know, Leinster have got better, we've got better. Uh, so, um, you know, I think it means very little. How have you got better, or what have you got better at? Uh, I think in, in all parts of our game, you just you know you get you, I, I like the you get better, you get beaten. You know, so you have to be and. Um, I think mentally we've got better I think in terms of how we play the game I think our understanding of, of what kind of we want to do in, in different areas of the pitch has got better uh, but um, probably where we haven't got better is in terms of an 80 minute performance and if we're to, to challenge Leinster we'll need that 80 minute performance but I think um, I think I think that's possible with the uh, maybe with the with the experience of players we have here how different is it going to be for you to plan for a game with like I was looking at the Leinster team last night there'll probably be six or so changes to the team that played you that day to the team that played the next day um, injuries in the meantime notwithstanding but the half-back pairing particularly should be different in that it'll probably be uh, Gibson Park and, and Sexton how different is it for you to prep for a game where Sexton's at 10? Yeah I think to be fair they're they have huge belief in what they want to do and how they want to play the game so uh, you know, I mean, Johnny Sexton's obviously a, a fantastic player, and he adds a lot to that team. But when uh, Ross Byrne plays as well, um, he's very, very uh, good in playing the way Leinster play. So, yeah, Johnny has a, a lot of X factor to him, and the fact that he's hugely experienced and there isn't anyone more experienced in managing a game. Um, so, it'll be a different threat with him than most definitely driving that team around. Uh, and obviously, James uh, Jameson Gibson Parks in the form of his life. I think he's playing sensational rugby, and it's just disappointing, I suppose, from my point of view, that we didn't have, uh, I suppose, um, 
a Corbarlo going mm. against him. So from our point of view, it's already, you know, I mean, three of the four halfbacks are probably going to be different. So it's a different game even before you start thinking about it. How do you stop Sexton from controlling the game? Well, you've got to deprive him of the ball. You know, that's where Leinster are exceptional in terms of their rock speed and in terms of, I suppose, control and possession. That's where they've had advantage over other teams. So from our point of view is that if we can try and get 48% possession, 50% possession, 52% possession, 55% possession, uh, that will probably put us in a good position in the game. Can I ask you about uh, Ohio West last weekend, Ronan? Uh, uh, somebody who maybe struggled a little bit off the tee during the match and then obviously gets the, the pivotal score late on in the game. Were you thinking to yourself, I've been that soldier out there myself? Does it, does it help you relate to him given the position you played as a professional rugby player? Yeah, I understand it exactly, you know, but I think where I back him is the fact that I see the work he's doing, I suppose, in the shade or behind the scenes. So he's working hard and on his on his goal kick and I think that's very, very important. It'd be different if it was kind of we'll see how it goes on the day attitude. It's it's the opposite of that. So from my point of view, I, I, I've seen his timing around the goal kicking has hugely improved. I think uh I mean it's fascinating what pressure sometimes does and hopefully that's probably great learning from last weekend was it the fact that he tightened up a little bit that he made him push uh, his kicks but I think uh, from knowing his character I would be uh, pretty surprised if he repeats that in the next game does there, is there ever a consideration mid-game I think the answer to this question is no given what you just said but is there ever a consideration to pull somebody off the kicking or is that a come and not even about West in general here but uh, as a more general point is, is that ever a consideration for a coach given the extra damage that that could do to a player's confidence yeah, you know, it is you know the easy thing would be to say no it isn't but you're right I think um, every uh, kind of possibility goes through your head what's best for the team how do we get over the finishing line here in first place so you've got to contemplate every single thing and that's I think why we have to stay on as coaches and stay on as decision makers and the fact that you may see something and your gut reaction could say okay pull the trigger on that and do that but you're obviously uh, you mean it can't come into your head that I'm hurting some uh, players emotions here by withdrawing them from the fray you have to think of everything uh, live I suppose replacements in a game and, and that's that's my job and I presume the later in the season it gets the, the more acute that feeling is because there isn't a whole pile of extra games in, in which you know the, the confidence can be there for you know the stakes get higher the, the importance of each game gets gets bigger exactly and that's the life of a kicker and the life of a kicker comes to life in big pressure games and that's the point we've discussed in the show on many occasions. You know, pressure might only hit you once a season. It may not hit you. It could hit you two or three times a season. But I think goal kickers understand that and they realise what's involved in that. But I think to neutralise that or to make yourself feel confident, you, you, you draw confidence from the amount of work you have done, I suppose, off the pitch in terms of Monday to Friday. And then you're looking for transfer uh, on game day. Are those decisions always straightforward, Ronan? Just like that call there about like taking a player off. That like the human condition about inertia that you just keep going and you hope and pray that it's going to come right. But in that moment, obviously, you got a really finite window to say we got to change this. Are they all, are those calls always really clear? Are you always sure you're doing the right thing, or are you always second guessing yourself? No, I don't know why you're second guessing yourself. But sometimes, you know, to go back to what you said at the start of the question, that's the definition of insanity. Is 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 um, you know what I mean uh, letting the same scenario repeat itself yeah. and not 
providing a solution for it. So, do you, do you, you ever know, think about the long term impact? Like you mentioned, just about a, a, a West there, and like you can't think about his. I, don't, I can't remember the word you used, maybe emotions or whatever, but like there's also the your longer term responsibility to him to get the best out of him for the next game or, you know, selfishly and for him personally. Are you ever thinking about that stuff or is it just, I got to fix this right now and here we go? No, you have to be. It's a, a global vision that's involved in this. And the most important thing is, is that you have a consideration for your player and you have a huge responsibility mentally for him, but you also have a responsibility for what's best for the team. And... I think it's very hard, I think, for us to probably uh, generalise about this because it's such a super specific subject matter. So, yeah, yeah, you have to be conscious of of the impact you're going to have on the person, but also the impact you're going to have on the team. And uh, if one person has to suffer for, for 40 others, then sometimes that's what's best in in sport. But you have to be very aware of, of... I suppose the potential uh, harmful consequences you may cause to an individual is possession the, uh, that you talked about there, trying to get it up above that fifty percent mark. Is that the best way to um, not nullify but diminish Leinster's quick rock speed? Yeah, we have to. We have to attack. You know, and if you attack, you need the ball. So to need the ball, you have to be very, very. Uh, I suppose. Um, focused on how you want to play the game if we play the game like we did uh, in Lance then we turn over the ball in 8 to 10 times uh, really uh, poorly so against a top team like Leinster that's that's going to put you in trouble in deep deep trouble so for us we've seen that you know in terms of just uh, irrespective of what the opposition is there are certain things fundamentals in our game that we need to be better at and it also becomes more difficult when you're up against uh, the, you know I mean the the most performing team in the competition so far this year they're like it's funny that two teams are maybe similar in loads of ways um, the excitement that they bring to the play the KBA approach uh, that maybe as you say it wasn't everything you wanted to be at the weekend but they're also sort of slightly different in, in other ways in the sense that like maybe your team play a lot more what's in front of them and Leinster's excitement almost comes from a bit more structure is that your reading of it? Uh, I actually don't know much in terms of what happens at Leinster behind the scenes, obviously, and how they go about it. But from our point of view, there's big, big preparation and how we prepare to play and uh, how we want to play the game. I would say uh, I would be also a firm believer in you get the best of an individual if he can play freely. What does playing freely look like? I think that his brain isn't cluttered with too much information, mm. but also there's a strict framework around how we want to play. You can't just expect to go to a final and trust your instincts. That for me is nonsense. So yeah, we'll have certain things that we we are not diluting our game with, but I think it's very important when you have uh, scenarios which are, I suppose... Um, in the chaos that players have the capacity to to accelerate and, uh, and take decisions that, that they feel are best in the moment. Is Will Skelton going to play? Uh, no, he won't be playing um, this weekend anyway, unless um, the I have a medical meeting at lunchtime today. It's a day-by-day process with, with Will. Uh, but... Uh, very important player for mm. for this group for 
for what we want to do in Europe or what we want to do in, in the top 14. So, you know, I think um, I've spoken to him. I've told him that I expect to see him at pre-season, but I don't think he accepts that. So we'll wait and see. Chance that he, chance, whatever about this weekend, chance that he's fit for the following? Uh, there's a chance in everything. <laughs> You're saying there's a chance. Yeah. Uh, how, how do, at what point over the, like the, the, the weeks between a semi final and a final, and feel free to bring in your playing experience here as well, do, do nerves start to set in or, or does the sense of expectation and occasion set in? Yeah, I think that's, that's a great question. It's something we'll have to address as a group as well because it's, um, the feedback from the semi final was that boys were nervous. Uh, which um, shouldn't be a surprise yet it probably shook me a little bit in the fact that I was thinking it's it's a semi-final of a Champions Cup it's against the French team we know these guys inside out we know what their strengths are we know where their weaknesses are so we should be okay but you forget that the Champions Cup semi-final is still very very special and that uh, I suppose um um, really I suppose crystallised at the start of this conversation was getting to another Champions Cup final is a fantastic achievement and the boys aren't robots and they have huge feelings and they're going to be very excited and, and Marseille is a special stadium it's going to be uh, pumping and uh, yeah it's something that will definitely have an impact because you know I think as a player when you pass as a coach you quickly forget what, what it feels like as a player and I remember obviously my first European Cup final and physically I was there but mentally you weren't there so uh, there's so much I suppose when you get to a certain experience or age you appreciate that strategy is hugely important but if the strategy is completely passing over their heads in the live action then it shows that we haven't I suppose prepared our players well enough mentally to be able to be performing on such a big occasion Are the nerves at a similar level when you have your first experience as a an out half in a final compared to your first experience as a head coach in a final? No, no, pulls apart, I think. It's right. just um No, I don't have nerves as a coach. It's 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 strange, you know, I just don't I kind of made that commitment to myself. I I couldn't continue, as I said, as a as I operated as a player as I did as a coach. It'd be it just it's not sustainable, it's not enjoyable, it's it's glass half empty, glass nine tenths empty, actually. So for me, that's not an interesting way to live my life anymore. I kind of find the good, the opportunity, the possibilities in in, in what's um, in store in the day, in the in the next few hours, in the next few weeks, in the next few months. So um, what an occasion! It's La Rochelle against Leinster in the Champions Cup final. I would have done anything at the start of the season to get this. That's the honest. Uh, uh, response to your question and I'm going to enjoy the week and I'm going to enjoy the game and uh, I genuinely am because you've alluded to that on the show before and I often wonder like how you do that because it's like easy to say be less nervous you know worry less stop being so negative but like you actually care about something so much Jesus like, is, yeah. like, how, like how, how did you manage to arrive at that point where you've actually yeah, achieved it, that I think that's what experience is that's what it, we all understand what experience tells you that when you have the same situation you want to do it better the next time. I think it's um, between different teams. I think it's I'm going to my seventh Champions Cup final, so it's fantastic, and that's something that I gotta embrace and gotta enjoy and got to be really, really happy with. And uh, 
you can't just be an act. You've got to be genuine. You've got to be authentic. And this has got to be the way you are in front of your players, in front of the public, in front of the supporters. And I genuinely uh, feel that I've prepared the team well. I can sleep at night. Uh, I enjoy the journey. I I want to to make this uh, a special time for the players in this club. So... I can't guarantee that we're going to win the thing. Far from it, you know. But you're going to do give it your best shot, and I think that that sits well with me. Yeah, I think for the rest of us looking in, we're interested to see is Ronan Gar the coach going to be uh, as good as uh, Ronan Gar the player? Probably not a fair question to ask you, but uh, and and you're back uh, bang in the middle of it as well. So. Uh, Des has an interesting question in here and it's obviously the penultimate weekend of top 14 games as well and you're agonisingly close now to squeaking into that uh, top six. Uh, he was asking, uh, if you can ask Raj if, how he feels about Leinster resting players this weekend and maybe more importantly uh, you having to play a crunch match. I don't think it's of... Um, sorry, the, I don't think you can compare the two. It's two completely different scenarios and for us... Uh, I'll comment on what I control and what we're doing and that's uh, we've picked a team to beat San Francisco tomorrow uh, because of what has happened previously and because of the duration and the intensity of the top 14 there are players picked tomorrow that won't be playing in Marseille and and that's the way it is you, you have to kind of believe in your planning believe in your group so for me it's a fantastic situation where we're alive in both competitions, a competition with so much history and prestige in the top 14 uh, and so much interest. But also, um, we're down to the final two in the, in the Champions Cup. So, yeah, everything is carefully planned. Team selection is hugely important. Uh, what Leinster do, Leinster do. What we do, uh, I can control. Just before we let you off, I um, wanted to ask you at the top, just while we were having that chat about the reaction post the game, what's the buzz like when you get in home after a game like that? Is everybody are, is everybody at home tuned in to the fact that Dad's going to be coming back, this is a good day, he's going to be happy, or were the training still alive here, or could they give two hoots about it? In the day, um, Jess was more interested, was I doing the school run Monday morning at 7 o'clock? <laughs> well, she was tweeting about, was it La, La, uh, La Rajale? Oh, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not up to speed with her social media. But, uh, <laughs> if she's not on the beach horse riding, then uh, she's tweeting. So just uh, need to keep an eye on her. And what about the kids? Are they attuned to everything that's going on? Or no? Yeah, they love it. Do they, they absolutely love it? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they were got it. They weren't in lawns, which is probably I'd say the first time ever for Champions Cup semi final that the, the families weren't there, but. There was no planes available, really. Or there was planes available. There were uh, bizarre prices. Uh, it's an eight-hour bus trip yeah. one way, so like sixteen hours on a Sunday with school the next day. It doesn't work. Uh, so it's great. It puts everything in perspective. You know, the show goes on. We're all consumed by a Champions Cup final. But the great thing is that we we have our health, and there'll be a Monday morning, irrespective after Marseille. And they'll go to Marseille, which I presume. Yes, they will. Yeah, they'll uh, they'll be there absolutely, and um, yeah, hopefully, there's my brothers can get on a few of the Leinster flights coming out of Dublin <laughs> to, to as well. just to mix it up with a bit of yellow. Absolutely, <laughs> why not? Why not? Good man. Listen, best of luck over the next few weeks. Thanks.
Cheers. See you, boys. Thank Thanks you. Ronald on the line there. Um, it's 10 minutes past nine. It's Friday morning. We're watching OTB AM. Uh, I want to give you a reminder as well, by the way, that uh, our first road show in three years is uh, nearly here. I don't know if you've been paying attention to this over the last few weeks, but the Football Pod Live is headed for Castle Bar at the Royal Theatre, June 2nd. Paddy, James, Tommy are going to be there, uh, and there'll be a couple of special guests as well. One is going to be revealed probably on Monday. Uh, he is an absolute Mayo legend. Sail as close to the wind there as we possibly can without revealing the name. But Monday is the time to stay tuned for. And uh, if you want to get tickets ahead of that event, it's going to be uh, head along to otbsports.com forward slash events. 20 euro plus booking fees um, is where you can get sorted for that. Now, here's what's happening on OTB Sports Radio across the day, one o'clock. Um, a one o'clock is going to be Leo Scullion. I think it's going to be a kickoff before that from half past ten. Marking a card for the final weekend of Premier League action as well. Uh, live Friday night racing from three o'clock today. Pat Fenlon, uh, four o'clock subject of Team Thirty Three's uh, classic interview there, and then uh, John Hartson uh, on the Champions League from six this evening. You can follow uh, off the ball across all of our social platforms, of course, and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Download the OTB Sports app and enjoy the latest and best in sports content and analysis. We're going to be back after these ads. It's the return of the crappy quiz, including a debut contestant. Chris Waddle. Oh, you're kidding me. September. Kyle Lafferty. Are you joking me? Is that right? I know. Is that right? Uh, Anybody else? Like, that is one of the most stupid questions. Darius Vassell? Seriously, you only need to just stay quiet. This is getting really annoying doing this quiz. What is going on here? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome along to the shoutiest segment on Irish radio. It's the scintillating, it's the stupefying, it's the splendido crappy quiz. Every Friday, we pit three of team off the ball up against each other in our no-holes-barred quiz of sporting factoids at the end of the week. Allow me to welcome today's contestants. Our first contestant looked at his children with disgust at Croke Park last weekend as they opted for hot dogs and chips rather than eating his specially prepared mustard and tarragon chicken rolls with a side of brie. A glass and a half of Vegas Cecilia was needed to get over the disgust. Give it up for Adrian, who's your daddy, Barry? Not, I mean, outside of the extravagance of the dishes you're talking about there, which sound absolutely delicious on. Uh, no, I had a um, Tupperware thing of, uh, I mean, this reveals more about my personality than uh, <laughs> Tommy's like, oh, what a middle-aged, boring, uh, a big thing of pasta. Oh, yeah? So you have, you have to come prepared. If you have a five-year-old and a three-year-old with you, you don't want to be left in the Anthony Moyle situation of, like, having no food and the kids looking at you, you know. Who was the pasta for? For the kids. Oh, okay. Not for you. What kind of pasta? Yeah. Just plain pasta, Tommy, a bit of olive oil on it. I had that. I'd made up um, a couple of wraps before we left. <laughs> that sounds grim. <laughs> oh, there's nothing. There is, there's nothing that they, uh, nothing they love more on. No we, way. We did, uh, yeah. we did go for... So you oh, trained them. Huh? That's, that's, you trained them to just enjoy playing. No, pasta. they just, they really just love it. They just love it. Carb loading you know? season in the Barry household. Um, the, we, did <laughs> go for, we did go for chips in good time, though. Unlike Moilesy, okay. and we got well sorted with a couple of right big punnets of lovely crispy chips, and they delved into them and they loved them. Nice, and they're great. That's sense. great. That sounds I good. hope, Adrian. <laughs> I hope they don't 
uh, decided that's what the Lancer Championship is going to be like going forward. I hope you bring them to some provincial ground sometime and let them experience the ferocity of a real game of football. I was down in Mullingar a couple of weeks previously for the Longford game, Tommy, and I'm not going to lie, that's probably going to be the highlight of their Westmead sporting days because the young fella's already got the blue and black headband on him, uh, whereas the three-year-old, she's like, she's still all aboard. Liverpool and Westmead, she says, are two big teams. She, ju- okay. she just t- she told me yesterday, she hopes they never play. So <laughs> hopefully... Uh, Hopefully the GA can just make sure that whatever whatever the Talton Cup throws up, it just keeps Liverpool and Westmead apart. Because we'd like a John Aldridge testimonial or something. Not sure, because they're very in her Maybe. mind they're basically <laughs> the same colours as well. <laughs> very uh, good, on very good. Our next contestant loves his home county and will follow them through thick and thin through the back door. Yes, they are still recovering from a tough loss in the provincial championship, and despite playing Division Two football this year, he believes they can rebound and make it back to Croke Park. That's right. He really does think Clare have a chance this year. Give it up for the Meath Hill Billy Tommy Rooney. Hey, on. You're very welcome. I'm surprised the words. I'm surprised the words tar- turncoat didn't slip slip no, in there somewhere. But, uh, no, you'd need photographic evidence for such a thing, Tommy. <laughs> oh, yeah, we get precious about things like that, don't we? We certainly do. We won't go any further on that particular topic of conversation. Just Google Tommy Rooney and go to Google Images for anybody who wants <laughs> contest. Although I think uh, context. Although I think that's been deleted. Our final contestant. It's, it's on everyone's phone now. Our final contestant for the first time in his life is finally going to challenge himself on an intellectual level by joining today's crappy quiz. <laughs> Does he have the brains to match his street smarts? Today we find out. It's Arthur O, PhD. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Wow. Debutante, you're welcome. Welcome, thank you very much. Good to join us. It is uh, Arthur versus Tommy versus Adrian. A very novel pairing, I think it's fair to say. The format <laughs> oh, Jesus is, uh, Christ, this could go. <laughs> is what you're saying. Is that this, could go, this could go anywhere. I usually try and put the pressure on somebody when they're making a crappy quiz debut, but I do not feel confident. I'm a long time out of the game here. Arthur, you have a serious chance, boy, today. Yeah, a lot of YouTube comments looking for Tommy's return, so that person or people are satisfied <laughs> a today. lot of comments <laughs> all from the same person uh, the format is a classic crappy quiz Thanks, with a series man. of questions on a range of themes and it's onto the slip and slide of trivia which is the rapid fire round you can podcast a crappy quiz on otbsports.com or on the OTB Sports app and if you're watching on YouTube make sure to click the thumbs up even if we contribute nothing but misery to your day please send any questions you have via postcard to crappy quiz Quizmaster off the ball towers Marconi House Diggs Lane Dublin 2 and we did get questions in via direct message and uh, they're coming into our boring questions round I will get the name of that person very shortly Uh, question one for Adrian Uh, the details of Ireland's rugby tour to New Zealand in the summer was confirmed recently but can you name the three cities the matches will take place in I haven't paid any attention to the cities at all Uh... Uh, Auckland yes Uh, Wellington yes Surely they will do the other most obvious one, which is Christchurch. No. Uh, Dunedin? It's Dunedin. Ah! <laughs> uh, shout out to Kieran Burke, who sent in the questions for the boring questions round and also sent in the past the parcel round for later. Thanks, Amelia, for getting in touch. Uh, Tommy, question one for you. Can you name either of the teams that competed in the first ever Football All Ireland that contained jersey sponsors? Silence there. Is there a bad line to clear or what's happening? You on mute? No, he's thinking. He's looking at him trying to buy time. Look. Can I get a year? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would make the point of the question totally redundant. Um, I'm going to say Dublin Tyrone. No. Anyone? Perhaps you guessed that one. It was uh, Down Me, the 1991, which was the uh, first. How are you, how are you uh, to know that, Tommy? Yeah. 
Well, I knew it was early 90s, but I just mm. thought it might be... I just thought that the dubs may have been the first to commercialise the game. Yeah. <laughs> Arthur, can you name six of the top ten players from the island of Ireland with the most appearances made in the Premier League? Footballers. Footballers. Yeah. Six of the top ten. Six of the top ten. Ah, Jesus. Roy Keane. Jesus. Yeah, but if you put a foot wrong, like, I mean, you're in trouble. Oh, so it's just, like, okay, six on the Six of ten, it's hard to put a foot wrong there, like. Yeah, well... Roy uh, Keane. Yeah. Shea Given. Yes. Dennis Irwin. Yes. Richard Dunn. Yes. Robbie oh. Keane. Yes. Damien Duff. Correct. He's off the mark. Oh. Seamus Coleman. Archer. Seamus Coleman. No, you would have been out straight away. Oh, there we go. Uh, Kenny Cunningham. Robbie Keane. Rory DeLapp. Stephen Carr. Stephen and you got Carr. the rest. Yeah. Fair play. Off the mark. Round two oh. is... The pass the parcel of doom round with a twist round. Yes, that's right. We are bringing back the round that almost destroyed the crappy quiz from within last time. Did I get strong armed into bringing this? I mean, I mean, uh, oh, sorry. Did I get strong armed into bringing this <laughs> round of the crappy quiz? What's the this column written for me here? I have no idea what I was trying to say there. But uh, it is, uh, as, as I say, we were very, very keen to give credit to everybody in this quiz for all the good work that they do. So Colin Bowie has once again decided that we are doing this round. So what's going to happen here is I'm going to give you a year. Each of you are going to get Jesus one year. Christ. And from that year, all you got to do is name the winners and runners up of three competitions from that year so six points right. are on offer here that's a good game so Adrian your year is 2012 we're going with you first and we're doing these three competitions and you're going to give me a competition yeah so the three competi- first competition is the Heineken Cup from 2012 so you're asking me to give you the winner and the runner up yes. in the Heineken Cup of 2012 yes could you not have just come at the question that way as opposed to this <laughs> ridiculously <laughs> convoluted give me the, give me the winner and runner up um, 2012 we're going to need to be very quick here because we've got two more to go through TikTok. Um. Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Ten seconds, Adrian. No, no, no seconds. No, don't give me any seconds. <laughs> was Five, it um, four, wasps, three, and l- wasps? Leinster. And who, uh, who won? Leinster. Okay, I'll give you one point. It was Leinster Ulster. Ulster. Um, who won the Women's Six Nations? Who came second? Come on, quicker this time. What are, you, what are we talking about here? Twenty twelve. Yes. Who won the Women's Six Nations in twenty twelve? Yeah, and who came second? Winner, runner up. It's the same for all of these. <laughs> Uh, England won it. Correct. And good guess. Wales were runner-up. No, France were men's 100 meter sprint at the Olympic Games. Who was winner and who was runner-up? Yes. <laughs> you know the <laughs> you know yes. winner. What did you say? 100 meters. Yes. Usain Bolt. Yeah. And Asafa Powell? No, Johan Blake. Well done, Adrian. You got three points there, so you go into the lead. Tommy, your year is 2009. Can you give me the winners and runners-up of the All-Ireland Football Championship? And runners-up, obviously. Kerry... Oh, sorry. Oh, he's battling it. 2009. Yeah. Jesus. Kerry Cork. Yeah. The PDC World Arts Championship. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is a stinker. Uh... The power and uh, was Van Gerwen old enough back then? <laughs> was he old enough? No, he wasn't. It was Van Barneveld's and the National Hurling League. Wait, did I get one point there? No, you got one point for Taylor. Yeah, so you're on three. The National Hurling League in 2009. 2009 National Hurling League winners runners up 2009 because it mattered so much. Come on, um, typical Kenny. Which, which, come on now, you have to specify your Yeah, who won who? Random names. Uh, tip won the league. 
And Kilkenny were runners up. I can't give you anything yeah. there. It was the exact opposite, though. Kilkenny <laughs> wanted for second. Do I not get? No. That's the beauty of that. Uh, Column is just laughing in glee out there. Finally, his round <laughs> oh. has created the drama he was looking for. Well, so you get well, three like, points. But, like, oh. what can I do? I mean, nothing. Blame Tipperary's tactics. Arthur, yeah. your year is 2015. Can you oh, name what? He gets to, what? Can you name the winners and runners up of the All Ireland Hurling Championship, the Formula what? One Drivers Championship, and the Europa League? I love that you give Arthur all in one go because you know that he's got the mental prowess to be able to handle that. Was <laughs> 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 have a top here like what did you say first there? <laughs> Fifteen, sorry, All Ireland Hurling Final. That yeah. was Kilkenny won. Mm-hmm. That's a joke. And they defeated Galway. Yeah, so that's your All-Ireland Hurling Championship. The Formula uh, 1 Drivers' uh, Championship. Presumably Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel. No, Hamilton and Rosberg, but I'll give you a point. OK, and the last one? The Europa League. 2015 Europa League. Was that them? Got, no, that wasn't the one here. Um, you got one banker there, anyway. Sevilla and yeah. uh, Liverpool. No, Nipro. Oh. In, uh, <laughs> for a while. So Arthur, you're in the lead. You're on five points. Tommy got three points. Adrian got three points. Uh, Colum is clapping in Shit the box round again. Uh, our round, is, uh, is, but mostly Colum has done very, very well. Five, five well, he got four there, and he had one come out. Ah, okay, he got four there. I thought he got three there. Okay, round three is the actual pass the parcel of doom round. In this round, all you got to do is give me <laughs> the name. <laughs> we've replaced it with that Arthur. That is on a list of names. Do something and normal. If the parcel of doom passes on to the next contestant who then also has to give me a name we will go and keep moving through the list until one of you gives me an incorrect answer or can't give me an answer at which point that person is eliminated can, go can, on Tommy can I, just, can I just say I haven't been here for a long time so it's nice to be back but um, I like that round the one just before it I didn't like the, the, the difference that Arthur got six years of a head start on me but I did like the round he comes back from the States and he's like, you know... All positivity. All positivity. La- like. Home of the Braves, the land of the free. <laughs> Life is positive. Yeah. The other way around, actually, I think, in that phrase. Uh, Adrian, okay. Can you name any British team to win a European football competition in their history? So, Champions League, European Cup, Europa League, UEFA Cup, Cup Winners Cup, Intercity Fairs or Intertoto Cup? There's a blank canvas for you, Adrian. Kick us off here. Celtic. Celtic is correct. It goes to Tommy next. Um... Manchester United Manchester United Arthur uh, Leeds United yeah Liverpool yeah Chelsea correct uh, Spurs yeah um, Nottingham Forest Nottingham Forest is correct Villa Aston Villa yeah um, Rangers Rangers is correct Cup Winners Cup didn't Fulham? No, you're out. So they got to the final. They got to the final, yeah, and we're beaten. I had more on. Uh, oh, that's a shame. Uh, <laughs> Tommy? <laughs> so hard to track. Oh, it's been said already. If I say somebody who's already been said... You're out. I'm like, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, okay, they've been said. They've been said. Aberdeen? Correct, good shout. Oof. West Ham? West Ham is correct. Intertoto Cup and Cup Winners Cup. Um, it says oh, surely they've won a UEFA Cup. Come on! No, I can't. Come on! Give us um, you want on. a team, not a name, though. <laughs> Come yes. on! The name of a team. <laughs> um, five. Four, three. Hold on, he's not actually counting here, is two, he? Two, 
Arsenal. Well, correct. Cup winners, Cup and Intercity Fairs. But didn't I say it already? No. I think so. Um, did Newcastle win the Intertoto Cup? They did. Great. Hold on, what? Tommy. He asked the question. He never said it. He well, I'm saying Newcastle. Oh, that was his yeah, answer. No, no, Adrian got knocked out when he said we're Fulham one. And yeah. so <laughs> Newcastle were the, were the, the For the sake of pace, the first team that you name, I have to accept. Tommy? He's struggling here. Uh, I know. Yeah, well, I am struggling, yeah. Um, so hard to keep on top of what was said, lads. The, the next one is a monster so I'm going to have to really push you quickly here Tommy that's where Arthur comes into his own with that old intellectual thing Derby County Derby County is not correct Arthur gets the point um, okay Tommy you kick us off on this one it's 6-3 wait three. Who, was, who was who was the last one? Oh, sorry Ch- Everton Ipswich, Ipswich Manchester Everton. City oh, Ipswich. City Ipswich Ipswich was that it? yeah oh, right. so you did pretty well Tommy you kick us off here. Can you name any player included in the 31 man 2019 Rugby World Cup squad for Ireland? Oof. <laughs> This'll test you. Tyke Furlong. Tyke Furlong. It goes, sorry, it goes to uh, Arthur next. Sorry, uh, Johnny Sexton. Johnny Sexton, yeah. Uh, Murray. Murray is correct. Jack Carty. Jack Carty is correct. Uh. <laughs> Keen Healy. Keen Healy is correct. Uh, Rob Carney. Rob Carney, yeah. Rob Henderson. Ian Henderson, yeah. Uh, Rory Best. Rory Best. Yeah, I'm actually kind of like struggling to keep up with the names here myself. <laughs> we go slow for you, all. No, 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 no. Quick p- pace, quick. Bundiaki. Bundiaki, yeah, correct. Pencho. Yeah. Oof. Uh, Ringrose. Yeah. James Ryan. James Ryan is correct. Um, Ty Byrne. Ty Byrne is correct. Keith Earls. Keith Earls, yeah. Um, Joy Carberry. Joy Carberry is correct. Conway. Conway, yeah. Peter O'Mahony. Peter O'Mahony is correct. Um, Jack Conan. Jack Conan is correct. Porter. Porter is correct. Um, now I feel I've hit my limit now. Uh, no, Dave Carney. Dave Carney didn't make it, no. no. <laughs> Adrian. Um, Dan Levy. Dan Levy did not make it. Remember, he got injured earlier that year. Uh, Tommy, well done. You get the point here. Thank you. The remaining names... Chris Farrell, Jordan Larmer, Luke McGrath, Jacob Stockdale, Sean Cronin, Dave Kilcoyne, Sean Klein, Reese Ruddock, John Ryan, Niles Scandal, CJ Stander and Josh van der Fleer. Arthur, you can kick us off on this one. Can you name any stadium to have hosted a Champions Cup slash Heineken Cup final? Ooh, um, was the one in, is it San Mames in Bilbao? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's one you say for, uh, is my go? Yeah, Yes. Uh, Twickenham Twickenham is correct the Lord of them Diviva Diviva is correct Oof uh, Stade de France Yeah um, mm. Adrian rapidly typing into Google here <laughs> It's okay Stade Marcel Michelin <laughs> Stade Marcel Michelin <laughs> has not hosted a Are you kidding final. me? I'm not kidding you. I think I think that's is that right? It is right. Yeah. 
Uh, there's more again. I have more here. Uh, unfortunately, what do you mean you have more? Uh, Tommy, <laughs> I have more to say, Tommy. Tommy, you're next. <laughs> um, damn it, Murrayfield. Murrayfield is correct. Um, the Principality. Yes. Um, hang on, no second. Is it? Did the Principality hold a hiding cup final? I don't think it well, did. What, what, what? Ah, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Hang on, no, 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 no. Principality is not written in front of me, Arthur, so I'm going to have to eliminate you. But I know what you meant, But because if it was any of the other two guys, I absolutely would have kicked them out, and i got to be consistent here. So what did I get wrong? It was the Millennium Stadium when it hosted the finals. So? So what do you mean? So it's the answer. It's the tight. The net. No, 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 no. Uh, the principality is the never actually holded, never held a Heineken Cup final. It's the crap never holds the final. <laughs> Tommy, you get the point there. The remaining ones. I don't know why I'm battling on Tommy's behalf. By the way, it makes it more interesting. At least the remaining I ones. I had Raven. I had Raven Hill next. Was that? In no, the you would be knocked out. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Ashton, Murrayfield, Ashton Gate, Bristol. I said Murrayfield. Uh, Cardiff Arms Park. Uh, Joseph Conroy has been in touch with me to say ah here Arthur has uh, been screwed over <laughs> it's the crappy uh, quiz uh, it's the crappy to, quiz it's, to be fair to be fair man in the room. I, I will say this just for consistency's sake first of all I didn't come up with this round uh, second of all um, there were separate that. answers for Aviva Stadium and Lansdowne Road so you could have said Lansdowne Road and you could have said Aviva Stadium which was said yeah, well, and I would have accepted fair. both because they're separate things we're so things. beholden to sponsors of these things like. ah no but I, it's the name of the stadium <laughs> I do think we have to be like if, if, if this quiz is about anything it's about you know accuracy and clarity and yeah and you, know. you said Leinster and Wasps without naming a winner lot. earlier on now I said nothing and he gave you a point no Leinster did win that but he didn't say anything you said wasps first. Well, yeah, that's I was, what I was thinking I was, when I got asked about Kilkenny Tipperary. So I, 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 I was saying I was clearly yeah, saying yeah, Leinster no, won. That's, it. That was, we, we, we let Arthur. I, I was assuming no, we won't. I was assuming that was the gimme tap in. Tommy, do you want to let Arthur back in? Scandal. No, okay. I can't believe the quiz master is asking the contestants would they like to let. This is a new thing that I think. Democracy What's it called? Sorry, Arthur. The chase. They should say, "Oh, listen." Can I ask? Can I ask one question? Right. Did the Principality <laughs> Stadium have a roof that could close and retire? Listen, we've moved on, Tommy. It's done. Uh, Ashton Gate, Bristol, Cardiff Arms Park, Grandstad de Leon, Lansdowne Road, Millennium Stadium, Parc de Prance, Parc Lescure, Bordeaux, and St. James's Park, Newcastle, were the remaining answers. Ooh. Round four is the fun free magic number round. Arthur is still in the lead. Don't worry. Contestants get three points for getting the number exactly right. If no one manages that, the nearest contestant who doesn't go bust gets two points. The second closest gets one point. I'm going to state that we can only accept the answer that's written on your paper. I'm also going to have to ask for your pens once the music ends. So if you don't mind, give us the following number. The number of times Roy McIlroy has won the PGA Championship. Plus the number of years since Derry last appeared in an Ulster football final plus the number of Premier League games won by Everton this season, plus the number of trophies Jurgen Klopp has won as a Liverpool manager. Your 30 seconds expire when Sinatra sings Bright Shiny Beats. So we have the number of times Rory McIlroy has won the USPGA, the number of years since Derry last appeared in an Ulster Senior Football Final, the number of Premier League games Everton have won this season, and the number of trophies Jurgen Klopp has won as Liverpool manager. Add them all up. What do you get? Write it down. What was this? Sorry, what was the second one again? On? The second one was the number of years since Derry last appeared in an Ulster final. Okay, so. Arthur, what have you got? I think I've been hands it out. Um, 47. 47, Adrian? 26. 26. Tommy? Jesus, 30. Tommy's got a bang on. Oh, wow. <laughs> 
Wow, how the turntables. Uh, he is in the lead. <laughs> how the turntables. <laughs> the number of times. What? Do I get no points now because of that? You get no points. Surely that's not right. That's the truth. Seriously? It's the truth. It's no, the but that's much of Tommy. You have to oh, accept that. Come on. No, you don't understand. There are three points. Ha- there are three points half in this round every single week. If somebody gets all three, there's well, it no should more be made you. that. It, I, I, he got a bang on. That's the whole point. He killed you. Uh, Rory McIlroy won the USPGA Championship Two. twice. Twice, 2012, 2014. Derry appeared in an Ulster final last years. eleven years ago. Five, nine. Uh, Everton have. Uh, won 11 games this season Eight. and Jurgen Klopp has won 6 trophies as Liverpool Seven. manager Premier League FA Cup EFL Cup Champions Derry. League Super Derry. Cup Derry. Club World Cup clue. 30 is the total there which moves Tommy to 8 points Arthur you're on 6 points Adrian you're on 3 our winner tonight will be decided in the round that separates the men from the boys the Tony Kellys from the Tony Hawks it's an old team in particular ridiculously easy rapid fire round the score you get in this round will be added to your score in the previous round and there will be 40 seconds for everyone to answer from the same set of questions we're going to start with Tommy then on to Arthur and then on to Adrian uh, if you get a question correct I'll keep asking you questions until you get one wrong and once you get a question wrong I move on to the next person and you get deducted a point if you get one wrong so Oof. what's the score 8-6-3 Tommy are you ready yep your 40 seconds starts now who knocked Germany out of last year's Euros England. Oh, too long oh, yeah, sorry England Yeah. in what year did Donegal last win in All-Ireland Tommy uh, 11. No, 12. In what, in what <laughs> county is world champion Lisa O'Rourke from, Arthur? Roscommon. Correct. Over what distance did Rashida Adeleke break her latest Irish record? 400. Correct. Which of these players won a Grand Slam more recently, Medvedev or Team? Medvedev. Correct. What club does Michael Obafemi play for? Swansea and Lone. Correct. Who won the award for Scottish Premiership Manager of the Season this year? Uh, Andrew Postacoglu. Correct. Who is the all-time top scorer in Championship Hurling? Uh, Patrick Horgan. Correct. Who is the Fulham manager? Uh, Correct. Absolutely. Wow. Ran the table. (laughs) Arthur PhD is a brand new champion. What do you have to say for yourself? I look forward to Phil Egan. (laughs) Bring them on. Well done, Arthur. Not even the principality slash millennium slash arms bar could stop you. Well done. Tried our best to screw him over, but he uh, survives the challenges. Uh, OTBAM has been brought to you live each morning this week by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We are back Monday morning from half past seven with React to the final round of the Premier League with Mark Lawrenson we've got hurling with Taggy Fogarty and much more the football kickoff remember is live from half past ten this morning Phil Egan Cullen Buig and Damien Delaney will be on show for that one OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar 